everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. Uh, my name is Corey Olson, the Tolkien Professor, and I am delighted to be back with you guys today. So I was about to say, let me explain the reason why I'm late, but really I guess I should say, let me explain the reason why I'm late this week. Um, uh, because I actually, unlike many weeks, when I have a rather ill-defined excuse for being late, this week I have a rather good excuse in that um, I was just on the phone with the Commissioner of Higher Education in the state of New Hampshire, um, whose calls I tend to take when he when he dials me up these days, uh, and we just had a. A lovely conversation. Uh, he's actually a lot of fun. Not only did this guy make two Harry Potter references during our last meeting, uh, but he made a Monty Python reference tonight during our phone calls. So I'm like, okay, like this guy's all right. You know, I think we can. I, I think we can live with this. Um, so uh, anyway. Um, that's been uh, that's been really really good. So just to to, to inc- for those of you who are listening who haven't had a chance yet uh, to uh, to see my my announcement uh, from last th- I held a session last Thursday night uh, making my big announcement. Our big announcement, of course, is that Signum University is has entered uh, the state certification process. Uh, we are really excited to be working with the state with the, the Department of Education in the state of New Hampshire, who have been awesome, as I've just been saying, and uh, we're we're super excited about moving into, and this is something that I just have a hard time wrapping my mind around. Signum has been such a great idea for such a long time, and it's been this wonderful little thing that we've been building and creating, and so many of you have come along with us as as supporters and early adopters and believers in the concept from the very beginning. But the idea that we're actually moving forward now, that we're taking the step to, uh, you know, we're, we're finally now at the place where we can take a step forward uh, to be, you know, fully, fully legal, fully legit, you know, and there I'll be sitting with the other presidents of other universities incorporated in the state of New Hampshire. And uh, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of amazing. Um, so uh, that's been really, really great. And uh, of course, um Let's see, where did it go? Here it is. Um, just to share with you, this is uh, uh, this is where you can uh, you can see our information here. Uh, we we put actually. Let me go to the homepage because if you want to read more about it, uh, our latest blog post here has uh, a full. This is a link to the my session from last Thursday uh, and uh, a longer description of what's going on here. We do, of course, also need help. One thing that I did, you know, many people were asking, "What can we, you know, what can we do to help?" And I was like, "I'm glad you asked because we do need help." And what we do need help with is raising money. Uh, of course, we we you know we designed to pay our own expenses and we don't have a lot of surplus uh but the expenses are high the 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 fees to get in uh both at the state certification level and then of course as we'll be moving forward uh applying for accreditation after this um those fees are fairly steep um uh so uh, you can go so here again. This is just on the signumuniversity.org homepage, and you'll see our, our blog post right here uh, on the homepage where you can get all this information. If you click here to this button, or uh, if you go on our donate tab down to the credential fees page, that was the first page um, that I had there. Um, and uh, this gives you all the information on the fees that we. Uh, are confronted with here in the state certification process. Uh, Twenty three thousand seven hundred bucks. It's a lot uh, to 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 get into the door here uh, in the certification process. To, that's to be fully incorporated and certified in the state of New Hampshire. Um, but here's the good news. 
here's the good news. The good news is that um, we have had a, an awesome response already uh, to our call for help since Thursday night when uh, I made my announcement. Um, so it's Tuesday now. So in the last five days, we've already raised over $14,000 uh, towards our credentialing fees. So uh, we're, we're, we're already well over halfway there. We're like 60% uh, uh, of the way already uh, to our goal in less than a week, which is absolutely wonderful. I am so grateful as always uh, for the generosity of everybody. In fact, I was just kind of bragging about you guys to the commissioner of higher education. Um, and, uh, you know, he was asking about, you know, fundraising. It's like, you know, are, are, are you going to be able to do your incorporation fee? And I'm like, hey, you know, we put the word out to our people and we've already raised uh, $14,000. And, and, you know, he, he and I were talking about, you know, we think uh, Signum University may be the first crowdfunded university ever right uh so uh that's uh that's it so Marielle, this is a really good question Marielle asks are these fees one time or will the annual budget need to be increased the okay for state certification these fees are mostly one time uh the the incorporation fee that's just to become incorporated in the state of new hampshire that's a that's a one-time fee um the uh comprehensive review fee most of these are for for the review uh, process that we're going through now. Um, there will be re-review. I mean, that's sort of the standard part of the process. We get to be re-reviewed, you know, every, I think, five years in the state of New Hampshire. Um, so that's, you know, that's something that's going to come up regularly, but it won't be like we'll have to do this, you know, $24,000 annually for this. For accreditation, the situation is a little different. Uh, the costs are a little bit steeper, actually, to get in. And then there are annual fees, which are uh, more significant, but that's that's the next adventure uh, after we get through this stage. So, uh, so that's where we are. Anyway, so I, I just I I encourage you, you know, those of you who have uh, who have been excited to 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 follow Signum and to uh, to see us through uh, this process. You know, now is the moment when you know there is so little standing in between us and. Uh, you know, being a fully established and, uh, and you know, sort of uh, uh, loud and proud university in, in ways that I, you know, have, we've never been before. And I, and I find it even hard to kind of imagine. So, um, you know, any help that you can give, certainly if we raise money beyond uh, our, you know, $23,007 here, we're going we're gonna to save that up for the accreditation process because we're going to certainly need every penny uh, we have for, uh, uh, for that. So, um, anyway, uh, that was, uh, uh, that's, that has been just a really, really exciting time. And, uh, uh, we are, um, uh, we're, we're, we're getting there. So, all right. And yes, as, as, uh, Sharon is reminding me, you know, for those of you who are, you know, and, and I know, you know, for those of you who are not like enrolled in our master's degree program, it might seem like, well, you know, the, this program, right? You know, if you're enjoying exploring the Lord of the Rings, it's, it's, that's, this is not part of the accreditation and certification process, right? You know, it's, uh, it, it might seem like a little bit irrelevant, um, but it's actually really very relevant because Signum University and the moving forward of Signum University and through that process, through the certification and accreditation processes that we are entering now, um, we are, um, uh, it, this is what's going to provide us with the kind of financial foundation to be able not only uh, to ensure that we can continue 
this uh, programming indefinitely, but also be able to expand as well. My own hope, my own vision for uh, for Mythgard stuff, you know, is not only to be able to continue doing all the awesome Tolkien stuff that I do, uh, as well as a, a little bit of, a, you know, a few other things also that I do with Mythgard Academy, but a lot of Tolkien stuff, uh, exploring Lord of the Rings and Silm Film and my Grifflet stream and everything else. Um, but I would love to see us expanding and doing similar things in other you know, with, with other groups of fans, you know, with other, uh, you know, to, to be doing stuff with, I don't know, lots of other fandoms and, and, and people who have, like Tolkien fans did for so long, you know, uh, wanting the same kind of, the same kind of desire that I was responding to, uh, in my podcast originally, you know, to be able to, uh, to, to, to have and to encourage, you know, a really serious, interesting, in-depth, intellectual discussion of, you know, this material that everybody, that, you know, that, that people love and haven't had maybe, you know, so much of a chance to, uh, to really immerse themselves in an environment where they can have those kinds of discussions. I'd love to extend that you know, uh, outwards as well, um, to different sci-fi communities, other fantasy communities, you know, there's lots of stuff that we could do. Um, and I'd love to do that and, and, and put us in a place to, so not only continuing, but expanding, that would be the, that's my goal for Mythgard and, and the establishment of Signum, uh, and, and, uh, pushing Signum through this process, uh, bringing us to the place where we're legitimate, where we're able to expand our graduate program, expand that also into an undergraduate program, which is our goal. Uh, I don't need to give my whole spiel again. I talked about this stuff on Thursday and I'm already late, so I should probably restrain myself a little bit here before I end up giving my whole hour-long uh, uh, story again, because I'm super excited about uh, this stuff right now. But anyway, so I just I commend my uh, my uh, my the recording of that session to you. If you haven't had a chance to see it yet, I hope you will. Um, and uh, um, anyway, so uh, so uh, thanks very much for uh, uh, for everyone who has already supported this, and uh, and I hope that uh, we uh, we we we're we're I will be definitely sharing with you our progress as we as we move forward here. Um, so that was my, my was my primary announcement. Of course, uh, other lots of other things going on. Um, one is that, uh, uh, of course, for those of you who are uh, or have been in uh, the Signum program, uh, don't forget sp- summer registration is open. So we've and and for those of you who have been thinking about uh, enrolling in in uh, in Signum courses, thinking about maybe you know going for your master's degree, you know maybe you're a school teacher or something like that. Well, what better time to begin right now that we're uh, uh, finally. Uh, uh, working through this process. The time is now, uh, so no need to wait any longer. Um, but anyhow, so just uh, just wanted to uh, to to uh, recommend that to you. Our summer semester uh, begins in a few weeks uh, in May, so uh, just to uh, about a month from now. Uh, so now's a really great time to be. Uh, uh, be looking at our our, our our summer courses, look through our concentration offerings, and uh, uh, begin to see what kind of an awesome master's degree program uh, you could put together, because it's pretty sweet. Um, and of course, other quick announcement, London Moot. London Moot is, is coming up very, very soon now. Um, in just a few weeks, at the end of April, April twenty eighth. Uh, so, especially if you're if you're in Europe or in England, or you've been burning for a reason to get over there, there's still time both to register and to get over there. Um, so, um, uh, anyway, 
I would definitely uh, uh, recommend that. I can't wait to get over there and uh, uh, and, and meet everybody. So everybody who, who can make it. So thanks all. And uh, a couple of you are asking, as a, uh, so I'll use this, Ethel, I'll use your question as a transition, right? Uh, about the fall of Gondolin book announcement. Very exciting news. Always very exciting news when a new Tolkien book is announced. Um, I am... Um, uh, I am excited about the fall of Gondolin. I have to admit, I'm not like over the moon about the fall of Gondolin book. And the main reason it's, it's, just, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to be sort of narrow minded about it. Right. Like when it, when I, you know, when I hear that something like the fall of Gondolin is coming out, what I want is more, you know, I want more fall of Gondolin than we have already. You know, I want like hitherto undisclosed Tolkien manuscripts in which he wrote, you know, like somebody actually discovered that Tolkien did finish the, you know, tour and the coming to Gondolin that we get the first tantalizing chapters of in Unfinished Tales. Uh, that's what I really want, right? And if some, and if that were coming out, I would be, you know, I'd be lining up at the bookstores, you know, like it was back in the Harry Potter days or something. But, um, but of course, that's not... Uh, what's happening here. The function of this, just like the Baron and Luthien text, uh, this is, anyway, this is my understanding of it. The function of the fall of Gondolin text is to essentially package uh, what we have of Gondolin um, so that it could be so that it's it's there in one package, so that people can uh, can read all the different versions of you know the story of the fall of Gondolin as Tolkien thought it through, and obviously the fall of Gondolin such an important story, uh, really the first story that Tolkien wrote, the first Middle Earth story uh, that Tolkien wrote. So, you know, it goes way back to the very beginning, um, and uh, uh, and and that was still the only one uh, the um, the the version that he wrote at the beginning, back in the Book of Lost Tales, is the only complete version of The Fall of Gondolin he ever wrote. Um, so anyhow, it's it's uh, uh, very cool to have everything packaged up together. Um, but if you know the material, if you've read The Book of Lost Tales, if you've read Unfinished Tales and all that stuff, there's I don't think there's going to be anything new. I'm, I Maybe... Maybe I'll be wrong and delightedly surprised, but I don't think there is. Uh, so, you know, therefore, you know, it's cool and it's going to be beautiful. I'm sure it's going to be beautiful. These books about, you know, the children of Hurin and Baron and Luthien are gorgeous books, right? So totally worth having even just for that. Um, but um, but anyway, it's, it's uh, you know, so that's kind of my understanding of what it is. So am I excited about it? Yeah, sure. It's going to be cool, but it's not like it's going to be revolutionary. I don't think, uh, again, I don't think it's, there's any totally undisclosed material there. Um, so anyway, that's the, that's the fall, of, my fall of Gondolin reaction for those of you who wanted to, who wanted to hear about that. Um, as for the news about how much money they're planning to spend on, uh, the Lord of the Rings series at Amazon, all I got to say is pick up the phone, Amazon. I'm right here. Right, I am right here, and I will I will put you on my VIP list, right under the 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 the, the, the commissioner of higher education in the state of New Hampshire, and then I'll put Amazon Prime people right under that, and I'll take your call, and we can totally work out terms. It'll be it'll be uh, it'll be very convenient for you. Um, so that's my other reaction to the other news. All right. But let's get back to work. Uh, we've got Strider v. Butterbird to uh, go on today. We're going to see uh, Gandalf's entire 
crack squad, right? Um, so, uh, so this is Gandalf's Breland emergency backup system uh, that we see being deployed in its fullness here uh, during... Um, uh, <laughs> during their evening here in Bree, uh, though ironically, neither one of them, neither Strider nor Butterbur, able to stop Frodo uh, from messing things up rather significantly in the common room. Um, so we're going to look at that. We were just, of course, uh, we just had Butterbur coming in and apologizing last time. We didn't quite get to his letter. We will see. We will see if we can uh, if we can get to his. Uh, uh, to his letter here today. Um, and boy, is this, Druid's Fire, is this, is this a new record, right? That my character went AFK before I even started talking about the first slide. <laughs> That's a bad sign, I think. Anyway, okay. Uh, let's, let's, let's move on. Let's move on. Okay. Uh, first, Lincoln, great question here. A rather great observation, Lincoln. This was my favorite. Uh, I, I, this was awesome. Um, so uh, uh, Lincoln has just been reading Macbeth. He's, he's, he's sort of new to, new, has come late to the Shakespeare party and has just been reading Macbeth. Um, okay, uh, it says, one of the less famous elements of the play, certainly less famous than the Burnham Wood attacking the castle or the nun born of woman. Those are the, par- the Tolkien parallels everybody always talks about, right? Tolkien himself talked about the, uh, you know, until great Burnham Wood to High Dunsinane Hill shall come prophecy and how the ants marching on Isengard sort of fulfill that in a way cooler way than it gets fulfilled uh, in the play. Uh, that's, a, that, that's a connection that, that, that Tolkien explicitly owned. The, uh, the parallel between the, you know, no living man may hinder me fulfillment of the Witch King prophecy, you know, yet, you know, you look upon a woman. Um, parallel with Macduff, you know, being from his mother's womb on timely ripped. Uh, that's another, of course, favorite parallel with, with Macbeth. But Lincoln, you are absolutely right. This is, so this is a more obscure element than that, but a really interesting one. The scene where Macduff goes to Malcolm, son of the murdered King Duncan, to try to convince him to lead a revolt against Macbeth, who has already proven himself a tyrant by this time. Malcolm says it will never work, and tells Macduff all about his bad habits and vices. Now, uh, Macduff brushes off the first few, saying, in effect, nah, it's okay, we can find a workaround, right? It's like, it's okay, so, all right, you're not the most sterling individual, we can, w- we can work with this, absolutely. But when Malcolm delivers an exhaustive list of his own faults and failings, some of which are truly horrible, right, uh, and asks, do you still think I'm fit to be king? Macduff throws his hands up in frustration, saying, fit to be king? You're not fit to live! You're doomed, I'm doomed, the whole blasted country is doomed. At this point, Point, Malcolm re- retracts everything he just said, explaining that he actually possesses none of the character flaws he claimed. He said that all he said all that to test Macduff, to make sure that the latter wasn't a spy seeking to entrap him for Macbeth. After this, of course, the two team up and go take down Macbeth. The parallel is less clear than the more famous examples alluded to above, but something about Strider initially posing as a rascal to test Frodo and, com- and company belatedly reminded me of this exchange. This is a really great insight, I think, uh, Lincoln. Now, I don't know, you know, was Tolkien thinking of this? I mean, was he thinking of Malcolm and Macduff when he wrote that scene? I don't know. Um, nor do I think it really matters. The parallel is really good, right? Is really cool. Now, it's not exactly the same, right? The dynamics in the scene are, aren't precisely identical with Strider and uh, and Frodo, for instance, as they are with Malcolm and Macduff. Um, for instance, uh, when you look at, like, 
why is Malcolm doing this, right? Why does Malcolm, um, uh, who is the you know the heir of the lawful king who Macd- who Macbeth murdered, um, why is he posing as a, a, a complete scoundrel? Why does he claim that he has all these vices? What he seems to be screening for is relatively clear, right? Um, does Macduff just want revenge against Macbeth? Because if I remember correctly, it's been a while since I've read the play, Lincoln, but if I remember correctly, Macduff's kids have already been killed, right? So Macbeth is already off to Macduff's whole family by this point. So I think that Malcolm is basically saying, are you just out for revenge? Do you just want to just want to, you know, take out Macbeth? Or do, are you really looking to do what's right? Like, do you care? So if so, he tries to suggest essentially, look, if you don't like Macbeth, frankly, I'm probably going to be worse, right? You have every reason to think I'm going to be an even worse king than he. And if Macduff is still like, I don't care, you know, I'll 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 partner with anybody, howsoever vile, in order to take down Macbeth, then that tells you something about his real motivations, right? So that seems to be that's how anyway, it's how I've always taken that scene. Malcolm to be testing what Macduff's intentions and motivations really are in that um, in that scene. Okay, he doesn't yet know of his his kids have been murdered though, haven't they, Mad Violinist? The kids his uh um you know that we've already we've already we've already uh, uh, killed the young fry of treachery uh, by that time. But Macduff hasn't heard yet. Okay, right. Ross shows up right after this to give him the news. Okay, okay. Anyway, anyway. Um, so the uh, but but still the point is he's he's assessing what is Macduff's motivation, right? What is Macduff's um, what is he really out for? Does he care about the kingdom? Or does he just is he just Macbeth's enemy and wants help getting getting rid of of Macbeth? Um, so that's it's not exactly parallel in that sense, right? When you think about what is going on with Strider and what um, uh, you know, sort of why Strider is uh, um, you know acting like a rascal, as we were talking about, um, he's not testing Frodo's like character in the same way, right? He's not um, uh, he's not trying to ascertain what Frodo's motivations are. It's, it's not, it's, he's not testing the same thing. Um, but I do really like um, I do really like the um, the parallel. The parallel still seems to be kind of apt that uh, posing as a rascal in order to test them, to see what their reactions are and then reveal yourself actually I'm not really a rascal at all. Um, that is kind of too close not to think about. And it makes me wonder, frankly. Um, I wasn't thinking of it as a question of him really testing Frodo's motivations, but, you know, maybe there is an element of that, actually. Um, you know, that he... Uh, I mean, I like... We were looking at uh, 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 John Castles's reading last week uh, from his post, where he was talking about how uh, noticing the effect of the ob- sort of the objections that Strider was making, or the the you know the obstacles that his rascalitude was sort of posting, uh, 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 posing rather uh, to to Frodo, um, and how it kept drawing Frodo out into sort of asking questions that Strider could answer, and uh, to um, essentially. Uh, bringing him to a place by raising his suspicions to a place where his suspicions could be allayed rather than merely looking like a like a like an effective con artist all the way through um so anyway 
Um, that I, I, and, and I still like that. I, I still really like that. Um, um, I still really like that reading. Uh, but could there be a way in which he is also testing Frodo's motivation? Goodness knows. I mean, we talked about this a little bit in connection to their exchange after Frodo takes off the ring in the common room, right? Um, that um, Strider's got to be wondering what the heck is going on and what this guy is thinking. I mean, presumably he's heard enough from Gandalf and probably even from Bilbo to assume that Frodo's not an idiot, right? But if he's not an idiot, then what is he doing? Right? What does he think he's doing? What is his motivation? What's what's going on here? Um, or even maybe it's maybe it's that. Maybe it's sort of to test how much of an idiot he is, right? Um, if he comes in posing as a rascal, will Frodo just be like, "Oh, okay, yeah, whatever. I'll follow you far from help." Um, maybe he's testing how strong a hold the ring has on Frodo, Mike. That's a really that's a really interesting suggestion too. Would he know that much detail about the working of the ring and how it operates? I don't know. Perhaps um, I could imagine Gandalf sharing that with him, um, his own concerns, his own anxieties about Frodo. Um, knowing that the kind of danger that the possession of the ring would put Frodo in. I could imagine Gandalf sharing that with Strider. I don't really know. Um, but um, anyway, so um, it's... Um, uh, it, I, I think that there's a lot here. So, Lincoln, I think this is a really fascinating parallel. Um, and this, by the way, is one of my favorite things about um, sort of looking at uh, comparisons with like potential sources and stuff. Um, people, you know, I find, you know, okay. People often, I find, get really kind of fixated on like identifying for certain, like, was this really a source? You know, um, did, and we know talking Red Macbeth, but like, can we, could we prove that he was definitely thinking of this scene from Macbeth when he wrote this passage? And that's kind of interesting, right? I mean, I'm not saying that that's not, um, you know, an interesting question. But like I said at the beginning, my answer to it is I don't care, actually. I mean, it'd be kind of cool if he were, I guess. But whether he was or not, it doesn't change the fact that putting that scene from Macbeth next to this scene shows up some interesting lights, right? It helps us to see the scene, you know, by comparing and contrasting the two, uh, we can begin to sort of see some some new things uh, in a new light. Um, and, uh, and, and to me, that's the, the point, right? Um, that matters to me a great deal more than the question of, you know, what was in Tolkien's mind when he wrote this scene, um, which, I don't know, from my point of view, seems to me, it's kind of an interesting trivia question, but at the end of the day, it, it seems to me more like a trivia question, uh, rather than really just kind of thinking of the living relationship between these two texts, independent of, uh, you know, the intention uh, of the author explicitly. But um, uh, anyway, cool. So, um, yeah. Oh, Matt, that's interesting. On the Shakespeare point, is there something of Henry V's visiting his soldiers on the eve of Agincourt uh, as well? Uh, yeah, so so uh, uh, King Henry in disguise uh, going among his people to, to sort of see what they're thinking and what's going on with them. Uh, potentially. I mean, it's not... The parallel there isn't quite as tight. Um, but, you know, it's interesting to see a... Um, um, there is a sense in which 
Aragorn is in a position essentially to kind of like exploit his standing um, deception, right? His standing um, uh, uh, disguise, right? Uh, in ways which are actually which which do have some similarity to the way that uh, that King Henry acts uh, in some ways, but um, yeah, cool, cool, very good. Um, yeah, yeah. Renrus, I've often thought that same in that same kind of way. Renrus says, speaking as a creative person who draws on many influences, there's no point in trying to prove anyway. Uh, you know, it, I might have been thinking of a piece of music as I composed, but I might not even be able to identify what piece I was thinking about when I wrote the music I composed. No, absolutely. I, I've, I have always felt that the kind of argument, and certainly I know that all source criticism doesn't do this or doesn't just sort of settle for this, but um, to me, the, 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 the kind of source criticism that I find most unsatisfying is the kind that merely tries to sort of identify things, right? To be, you know, to, to, to try to make an argument to say Tolkien definitely was drawing on this thing for this work, and it's like, okay, maybe, maybe not, but maybe, but so what? Um, and as you suggest, uh, Rinrus, it's it's a much more complicated process. This is a much more organic process. Think of Tolkien's own metaphors for this, right? Um, it's all about the cauldron of story, right? It's not about... Uh, it's It's, yeah, you can't just kind of separate it out in all those ways and everything. So, um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, cool. Um, all right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, good, good. Um, okay. Let's, uh, let's move. We could talk about Shakespeare and, and Tolkien all night, which is actually a surprisingly rich kind of, uh, uh, thing to talk about. Um, you know, Tolkien is not sort of in Shakespeare's orbit as much as many uh, English writers are. Uh, but still, there's quite a bit of, uh, uh, of, of Shakespeare that you can't, you can't grow up English <laughs> without having Shakespeare, uh, you know, sort of in you like that. It's just, it happens. Um, but, um, all right. Um, let's, uh, let's, Let's keep going. Okay. Or rather, let's start. <laughs> Goodness. Okay. Barlaman, uh, finishing his confession to Frodo, um, and saying how Frodo's only to name it if he needs any help, right? Um, Leaving the letter aside, I promise Gandalf no less. Barley, he says to me, this friend of mine from the Shire may be coming out this way before long, him and another. He'll be calling himself Underhill, mind that. But you need ask no questions, and if I'm not with him, he may be in trouble, and he may need help. Do whatever you can for him, and I'll be grateful, he says. And here you are, and trouble is not far off, seemingly. What do you mean? asked Frodo. Okay, first of all, what can we... This is a, a, a fun game to play uh, uh, in close reading in this section, right? What can we learn about Gandalf's state of mind, right, from the evidence? We have several pieces of evidence here, right? We've got some negative evidence from Strider, namely that 
what Strider doesn't know, right? And messages that were not left for Strider. Uh, but we have positive evidence from Butterbur. We have Butterbur's account of what Gandalf told him, and then, of course, we have Gandalf's letter uh, itself. Um, now, uh, Amethorn is asking, this conversation with Gandalf was how long ago? Months ago, right? This is around midsummer of this same year, and it's currently, what, the very end of, uh, of September now. Um, so it's like three months, basically, since he had this conversation, three to, three to four months um, since this conversation with Butterbur. Um, so notice, notice what we get here, right? Um, first, he calls, he calls uh, Frodo a friend of his, right? Um, he emphasizes, so from the, from the start, right, both with Butterbur and in talking about Frodo, what Gandalf is emphasizing is uh, um, friendship, right? He is appealing to, to, to Butterbur as a friend, and he is asking him to treat Frodo as a friend for friendship's sake, right? Um, and uh, yes, tension, this is in fact reported speech, uh, so this is Butterbur's voice, I think. Um, you know, he's quoting here, but uh, I, I think, you know, this seems to fit pretty well with the way that Butterbur talks. I don't hear Gandalf's tone very clearly here. Um, you know, does Gandalf actually call Butterbur Barley? Right? I don't, I don't know. I mean, we know he is called Barley, right? Um, but I'm not sure that Gandalf calls him that. Maybe he does. I don't know. Um, but... Um, uh, but anyway, uh, okay, so this friend of mine from the Shire, he may be coming out this way before long, him and another. He'll be calling himself Underhill, mind that, but you need ask no questions. So on the one hand, he lets Butterbur into the secret of Frodo's identity, right, to make sure that he, Butterbur, is not confused, right? He'll be calling himself, so keep in mind, he'll be calling himself Underhill, right? And he'll be with another. He's expecting him, so Gandalf expects Frodo to come out with Sam, right? He knows he's going to come out with Sam. Gandalf doesn't know about Merry and Pippin, and doesn't expect Merry and Pippin to come. That itself is kind of an interesting point, right? The conspiracy has been successful insofar as it has concealed its existence from Gandalf, Right now, of course, like the real meat of the conspiracy, conspiracy has been since Gandalf left. Uh, but clearly, there was uh, there was some conspiracy action prior to that as well. Um, so, um, uh, so yeah, exactly, Blue, Blue Wizard. It does show that they uh, they might not be good at lying low while they're on the road, but they were not bad at keeping their conspiracy from Frodo and even from Gandalf. So that's good. Um, Okay, uh, let's see. Um, yeah, yeah, Lincoln. Gandalf is shrewd, but he's not omniscient. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay, so I'm going to tell you what his identity is, but notice he emphasizes, but you need ask no questions, right? So he's trusting Butterbur, but he's not opening his whole mind to Butterbur. He's not going to tell Butterbur about the ring. He's not going to tell Butterbur anything about the ring. He's not even saying anything so vague as what Strider has said, right? That he is that he is carrying out of the Shire something that is of interest to him and his friends, right? He doesn't know anything about why Frodo is coming or why he's in trouble, 
right? Just that he's he's my friend. He's going to be coming. He might be in trouble. Please help him and don't ask any questions, right? Um, so, uh, um, yeah, yeah. Amethorn, the reason I think that he is opening up the possibility, Amethorn is saying that it seems odd that Gandalf would suggest that there's even a possibility that he'd be with Frodo. Um, I think that his reason for that is simply that he uh, um, he's hoping to get... Remember, he told Frodo, I'm hoping to be back... Um, you know, for your farewell party at at the latest. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He's hoping that Frodo's going to leave, but his plan is still to get back to the Shire as soon as he can uh, after his trip to Isengard. So he's going to... Um, so he wants to be there to help out. So he's not ruling out the... He's certainly not going to necessarily come back and check in at Bree on the way back to the Shire. Um, so... Yeah, Aragorn is wondering if uh, Gandalf's worried the bike riders could come and get the information from Butterbur. Yeah, I, I, th- I think that's possible. Sure. Um, you know, what he doesn't know can't be tortured out of him, right? But Which is, you know, seems, of course, a cold and heartless thing to say, but there it is, right? There, there, is, some, there is some truth to that, right? Um, but at the same time, I think it's also... Um, he's... Butterbur doesn't need to know, Right? Uh, he really doesn't. Not for the purpose of. Besides, like he's not, he's not part of the team, <laughs> right? You know, he's not one of the people. He's not like Aragorn and Elrond. You know, he's not uh, uh, part of the whole story. He's, the ring is not his concern. Um, so it totally doesn't surprise me that Gandalf says nothing about the ring to him and merely appeals to him in the um, in the manner of uh, of of friendship, right? Um, and yeah, mad, mad violinist, I agree that, um, uh, he wants Frodo to leave the Shire by the end of July before he could get back. But of course he knows stuff can happen on various ways, right? So, uh, maybe that's going to happen. Maybe it won't. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I agree. He's not risking Butterbur needlessly because if Frodo had left in July, he would have been ahead of the trouble pretty pretty far ahead of the trouble, really, right? Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so, uh, right, do whatever you can for him, and I'll be grateful. Um, it is also possible, Arden Crayon, that Butterbur would accidentally spill the beans in daily conversation. Can he be trusted? Yeah, even Strider thinks he can be trusted, Right. But again, there's, like, trust him for what, right? And is he necessarily going to be able to keep a big secret like that to himself? You know, I don't know. Um, Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tension, I agree. Mind that is a really interesting uh, thing, right? Mind that. Like, keep that in mind. He'll be calling himself Underhill. Don't forget that, right? Um, You can see... Gandalf's acknowledgement, like, he knows how forgetful Butterbur is. Uh, so that's why he's telling him, like, the things that he's got, he's got to make sure that he remembers. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So, 
What does he mean by trouble not being far after him? These black men, said the landlord, lowering his voice. They're looking for baggins, and if they mean well, then I'm a hobbit. It was on Monday, and all the dogs were yammering and the geese screaming. Uncanny, I called it. Nob, he came and told me that two black men were at the door asking for a hobbit called Baggins. Nob's hair was all stood on end. I bid the black fellow be off and slammed the door on them. But they've been asking the same question all the way to Archit, I hear. And that ranger, Strider, he's been asking questions, too. Tried to get in here to see you before you'd had biters up, he did. He did, said Strider, suddenly, coming forward into the light. And much trouble would have been saved if you had let him in, Barlaman. The landlord jumped in surprise. You, he cried, you're always popping up. What do you want now? Okay, um... Let's focus first on his conversation about the Nazgul, right? And then we'll shift to the confrontation between Strider and Butterbur, of which I have always uh, uh, been a fan, right? Um, uh, yes, Erokeb, and thus Barlam and Butterbur slammed the door in the face of two of the most powerful beings in Eriador. Yeah, I often think of that, actually. Um, for those of you who don't recognize it, Erukeb is quoting, uh, or adapting, rather, the line from when, uh, uh, when Feanor slams the door in Morgoth's face, uh, um, when Morgoth comes to him after his banishment, uh, and is trying to recruit him, and Finway, and, uh, not Finway, sorry, Feanor slams the door in his face, and we get that line about, you know, and he slammed the door in the face of the, the mightiest, uh, 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 uh person in Arda. Um, yeah, I, I often think of that with Gaffer Gamgee, with Farmer Maggot, with Butterbur, right? Their, uh, their ability to, um, uh, uh, you know, send the, send the Nazgul packing is pretty remarkable, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, yes, the, in the face of the most powerful dweller in Ea. Yeah, that's the line. Uh, absolutely. Um, but uh, anyway, okay. So, what um, what else do we see there? What else do we? So, w- once again, we see the stalwartness of these fairly down to earth characters, right? Gaffer Gamgee, Farmer Maggot, uh, Barlaman Butterbur, all of whom are able to just to say things like "be off." <laughs> right uh, to to the Nazgul. Um, it's clear that the Nazgul have an effect, right? It's not just like their effect is is uh, you know th- their powers are merely waning or anything like that, right? Knob's uh, hair is all stood on end, right? He's terrified, um, and uh, he's he's very much impacted by his brief conversation, and we we. The suggestion has been, as Strider, I think, already suggested, or maybe he's not done it yet, and I'm misplacing, but um, that Harry Goatleaf has been intimidated by them, right? Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, so, um, yeah. Eric Hebb says that Barlamin is the lord of one of the strongest fortresses, um... Uh, against the riders, we're told. Yeah, uh, we'll see that, actually. there's. This is one thing that I always want to recall, which I think we can see a trend for here, right? The riders, it's not necessarily that they're weaker, exactly, but their power is not as strong here as it would be 
back in Minas Morgul, right? As it would be in Mordor, as it would be under the dawnless day, right? There is a reason why Sauron spreads his darkness over the land before his armies come out, right? Here, in lands far from Mordor, untouched by the shadow, the the Nazgul struggle, right? They are Their power is reduced, or rather the power to resist them is still fairly strong. People like Farmer Maggot, right? With a close relationship with the earth, uh, you know, they're in the, sh- in the, in, they're in the shine. They can, he, they can resist the Black Riders. Now, could he fight them off, right? Would Farmer Maggot be able to take down the Nazgul? No, I'm not suggesting that, right? The, the Black Riders could, uh, you know, draw their weapons and, 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 and chop up Farmer Maggot, presumably. Um, but, uh, um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, th- there is, It's easy to think of this. Well, it's easy to think of this in like simplistic video game terms, right? I say simplistic, by the way, because of course uh, this is one of the things I think Lotro does such a good job on with the whole uh, 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 dread and uh, hope mechanic. But um, if you think about this in like RPG terms, right? If you imagine like so, the Nazgul they're like bosses, right? They have all these like their attribute scores are super high. They have a ton of hit points, and you know so like wherever they go, right? Wherever they go, they're they're gonna be just super powerful, right? Uh, and and it, but it's not like that. It's not how it is in Middle Earth, right? Um, the power to resist them depends on different things. Their strength or weakness depends on different things. Um, and um, anyway, it's... Uh, um, yeah, Lincoln, they are a long way from striking men to the ground from sheer terror, as we'll see in the Battle of Pelennor Fields. Absolutely. Um, the kind of power that they are able to wield over people, the kind of uh, the kind of oppression that they can bring to the spirits of people to, to yes, to lock them into, uh, to, to drive them to despair, uh, to, uh, uh, to make them incapacitated with fear uh, and with dread. They don't have that here in the Shire. Um, they don't have none of it, Right. Remember the effect that the hearing the cry and the song of the Nazgul on the on you know uh, in the air in the Marish or above the Marish. Right. Right after they uh, the hobbits were singing their drinking song, um, that um, that is something that uh, you know we see. It's it's um, it still affects them. Right. Um, but it's not going to affect them nearly as much as that same song is going to. You know, that same cry is going to affect them. In the Dead Marshes, for instance, right? Um, so, anyway, um, it's um, it's it's just not as simple as we tend to think of it. If we're if we get ourselves thinking in, as I say, in like you know, uh, role playing game terms or something like that. Um, but. Um, yeah, I wonder, Marielle. Marielle's wondering if you know if the ancient, you know, the ancientry of B of Bree, um, you know, having been a, a haven of stability and possibly of peace uh, from time out of mind, uh, could have uh, uh, have an impact and make it harder for them to sort of exert themselves here. Possibly, possibly, um, but um, anyway, 
Yeah, it's um, um, yeah. Anyway, okay. So we've got Butterbur slamming his door in their face, right? But we do see the impact they have on people. We see Nob's terror. Um, we see the dogs and the geese, right? The dogs are yammering and the geese are screaming. It's uncanny, right? Uncanny is. Uh, is an important word. Remember, he said that to Frodo. Like they, they don't like anything out of the way, uncanny, right? Um, when Frodo was tumbling or conjuring or whatever he was doing, anything that looks like it's magical, anything that looks like it's out of the ordinary, they're not fans of in Bree, right? Um, and that's exactly what it looks like when all the dogs and when all the animals are upset, right? The dogs and the geese are making a big fuss and, and what is there a storm coming? Right? Is there like what is it that they're they seem the way that they're reacting to these guys, these black men as he calls them, uh uh seems to be um a uh it's seriously uncanny. There is something very strange going just that he can feel their presence, right? It's a big deal. Um yeah. Um so, um, okay, good. Um, he bid them be off and slams the door on them, but they've been asking the same question all the way to arch it, right? They're looking for Baggins, right? And he can tell they don't mean well, right? If they mean well, then I'm a hobbit, right? Um, so yeah, no. Um, and by the way, what does that suggest about the, uh, relationships between or the attitudes right between the big people and the little people in Bree right that he would say if they mean well then I'm a hobbit um but anyway um Kyle yes I do think Kyle asks does uh Barlaman lump Strider in with the riders here because he sees them on similar terms yeah Strider's not uncanny Right, the geese don't scream when Strider walks by. That's pretty clear, but it is equally clear that Barlaman considers that they're both of them in the same category of trouble. Right, remember that's what this paragraph is about. Um, he says, "Here you are in trouble is not far off, seemingly." And Frodo says, "What do you mean? This is the explanation of what he means by trouble." Right, so um, uh, these these uh, these black men are bad. Right, they're uncanny. There's something really just not right about them, and then on top of that, there's that Ranger Strider asking questions. Right, um, tried to get in here to see you before you'd have biter sup. He did. Right, I mean, can you imagine that? So, what, uh, um, what, ca- what does that show us about Butter Butterbur's conclusions? Right. Clearly, he thought that that was, what, rude, forward, right? Um, he, he, he obviously assumes that Strider is up to no good, right? Um, that ranger, Strider, has been asking questions. Yeah, interrupting hobbits at dinner is inconceivable. Uh, yeah, I mean, seriously, right? Who does that? Um but again, I think that the the point here is, look how importunate he was, right? This guy is trying to get at you in the worst way, right? So bad that he just like, as soon as you got here, right? We're just trying, we're going through the basic opening stages of hospitality, right? And he's all like, I need to see them right away. Um, so like not, it would have been sketchy enough 
for that ranger guy to you know be asking after the new hobbits right who have who just come that by itself is strange because remember what is butterbur thinking what are you thinking how how do you read this let's try to let's try to read between the lines here and figure out what is going on in butterbur's mind what's he afraid of or what does he what what does it sound like what conclusions has he come to you know what does he think strider's doing what is he afraid of you see what i mean um, cause it's clearly to his, in his mind, a bad sign that Strider not only wanted to talk to them, but was so darn impatient to talk to them. Right. Um, what do you think? Notice, first of all, the first sort of clue we get to his frame of mind about Strider here is the the direct parallel, right? Black Riders have been asking questions. That Ranger Strider has been asking questions too, right? So you've got two very sketchy groups of people asking after you, right? Trouble's obviously not far behind. So he clearly associates the two of them together. They're not identical. Does it mean they're necessarily working together? I don't know. But, um, I mean, I, I don't think that Butterbur clearly says that. Um, but he, uh, yeah, Arden Crayon, I agree. He does have kind of provincial attitudes in a sense, right? Um, but yeah, he, he, he definitely um, sees, assumes that Strider is up to a similar kind of no good, right? That the Black Riders are. Um, okay, so what do we think of? So. Um, Mariel is suggesting that Butterbur's afraid Strider sees Frodo and company as easy marks. Uh, yeah, I mean, as far as we know, right, Butterbur finds Strider um, a disreputable guy. Maybe he's a highwayman, for all he knows. He could be a ruffian. He doesn't know that for sure, right? Presumably he would not welcome him in the Prancing Pony uh, if he had any solid reason to believe that uh, that uh, that Strider is a highwayman. Um, but he certainly looks like somebody who might not be above that, right? Um, uh, remember uh, how Sam has never heard no good of, of people who come out of the wild, right? Um, uh, people who are living rough like that. Um so, um, yeah, Marielle Gandalf clearly has not given an endorsement of Strider to Barlaman, which is interesting in itself, right? These are the two friends that Gandalf has in the in this area. He has not hinted to Butterbur that Strider is to be trusted. He must know that Butterbur does not trust Strider, right? And yet he has not, uh, um, he hasn't clued Butterbur in about anything about Strider's real identity or even just his own friendship with Gandalf, right? Um, so I think that that's, that's interesting in itself, right? He seemed, Gandalf, that is, uh, seems to be willing to, possibly eager to um, maintain Strider's cover, right? Uh, uh, neither of them, clearly, and that's exactly what uh, uh, Bible teacher up there was just saying. Um, th- they seem to be in agreement that uh um his cover is to be is to be maintained um yeah uh 
Yeah, it, Valori, it, it does seem possible that Aragorn has not uh, authorized Gandalf uh, to do that, that, that Strider would not want his cover to be blown uh, in that way. Um, yeah, yeah, that does seem likely. Well, let's... So, okay, so I think that Butterbur is potentially hinting that he thinks that Strider could be working with the Black Riders. Um, if he's so all fired eager to get at these hobbits, right, who have just arrived in town, he can't know them or anything, right? The, here are these poor hobbits from the Shire just arrived in town, and 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 he's figured out or recalled, like, is probably Gandalf's friend, right, um, who's arrived from the Shire, and the first thing that happens, like, they've barely even taken off their cloaks, and here's this super sketchy ranger who wants to get get at him right away, right? Asking the same questions or very similar questions um, to um, to what the Black Riders were. And it's clear that they're up to no good. And he's pretty sure Strider's up to no good either. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah. Um, good, Mad Violinist says, and how did he know they were there anyway? Really good question, right? Um, th- that's a, That's a wonderful point. That looks really sketchy, right? Now, we know how Strider knows that they're there. He was, hide- was hiding behind a bush and watching them, and then he cra- crawled over the gate in secret so that they didn't even know that he'd come into town, and he stalked them to the prancing pony and then tried to get in to talk to them, right? So, so yeah, like, what might Butterbur have been thinking? Why, was, why would Butterbur not have trusted him? Well, he might not have trusted him because he might have suspected... Because, Mad Violinist, you're absolutely right. Nobody at the Prancing Pony should know that the hobbits are there, right? So if he, Strider, came up to Butterbur within, like, five minutes of the hobbits arriving at the inn and said, you have hobbits from the Shire, I need to talk to them. Butterbur's got to be thinking, dude, how did you know I have... Are you stalking them, right? Did you... Have you been trailing them, right? Are you... Did you mark them on the road, Right, and now you want to come out in my establishment? I mean, that's got to look awful. Nobody else in the building knows that, the, except for Nob, right? And maybe he's t- talked to somebody, but not to Strider, and not within five minutes, right? So, absolutely, like he's got to think. So, what's what is Butterbur thinking? Well, he's probably thinking that Strider did like some super disreputable things, right? Like hid under a hedge and overheard their conversation, and then stalked them and climbed over the gate. <laughs> which is exactly what he did. But that's exactly what Butterbur is thinking, right? That he, and, and probably, he's probably in the pay of the Black Rider. That's exactly the kind of, um, the kind of scamp that the, the, the Black, who would, you know, agree to work with the Black Riders uh, because he must be completely unscrupulous. Um, so there's all kinds of reasons uh, for, not only for him to see Strider in parallel with the Black Riders, but for him to just kind of lump them together uh, into a unit. Um, now let's look at Strider's reaction. Um, tried to get in here to see you. He did, said Strider suddenly, coming forward into the light, and much trouble would have been saved if you had let him in, Barleman. The landlord jumped with surprise. You? You're always popping up. What do you want now? Um, I, uh, I love this. Um, one of my favorite lines in this conversation is you're always popping up, right? How tantalizing is that? Uh, so, okay. Um, 
Strider talking about himself in the third person is really fun, right? I think that Strider's talking of himself in the third person is uh, a way of um, teasing Butterbur, right? He's kind of trolling Butterbur for not knowing that he is that he was there all along, right? I'm sitting here listening to you talk about me in the third person, and I'm going to emphasize that, the fact that I'm standing here listening to you talk about me in the third person by joining the conversation and carrying on talking about me in the third person, right? Um, yeah, I think that that's... Um, I, I, I think that that's, that's, again, him just sort of teasing Butterbur for how clueless he is, right? You didn't even notice me there. Um, I think this is a, a sort of a gentle dig that we're going to see him come back to, right? Butterbird, you're not competent, right? You can't, you're not going to succeed in, uh, you know, what help can you give, right? Here I am. Um, anyway, so uh, much trouble would have been saved if you had let him in. And of course, that's interesting in retrospect, right? No reason to criticize Butterbur, I think, for drawing the conclusion about uh, uh, at the beginning, right? Um, now, Arden Cran, you're right. Strider does know his own reputation. He seems to have cultivated that. Um, and so, no, he could hardly have expected Butterbur to act otherwise. It was an interesting point, place, right, where he had to risk his own cover, right, um, in order to get Butterbur to... Um, to let him in to, you know, to try to save a disaster. And then a disaster, in fact, actually happened, right? Um, You're always popping up, though. Um, What, um, what does that suggest? You're always popping up. I, the reason I love this is that, first of all, um, it's a really interesting response under the circumstances. Does this really happen a lot? Is he often, like, talking about Strider with somebody? And then Strider's like, I'm actually standing right here. Like, does, has he had this experience a great deal? Um, I, uh, uh, I wonder, right? Um, his reaction to Strider stepping out of the shadows is not... You know, you, oh, that's the last thing I expected. He's like, you, again, right? Like, like this, this keeps happening, right? Um, he does seem to just appear in town whenever he pleases. Um, I agree, it's certainly true um, that he, um, uh, it's certainly true that he, you know, comes in and goes out. Nobody knows when he's going to, when he's going to appear, Um but, um, so yeah, he's seen Strider come and go, but again, here, now, like, under these kinds of circumstances, that, this would be his first reaction? You! You're always popping up! Like, uh, this is, darn it, Strider did it to me again! Um, is fascinating. What it suggests to me is not that he's, he generally, um, you know, shows up in, out of the dark corners of small private rooms like this necessarily, but just that this is his experience with Strider all the time, right? When Strider comes into town, I don't think he normally does so with great fanfare, right? What is Barlowman's experience? Barlowman's experience is looking over into the corner and whoop, oh, there's Strider all of a sudden, 
right? I didn't really notice him come in. Um, I didn't know he was in town. He's not been here in he's not been here in weeks. Yeah, it's like a bad penny always turning up Valori, right? Um, that he does keep a low profile, right? Again, he doesn't he doesn't come in with a big um, uh, he he doesn't come in with a with, with a big fanfare big fanfare as I say, um, but um, uh, but yeah, he he he. Strider, or rather, Butterbur's experience of him is the one who is always just suddenly there, right? Suddenly appearing uh, when you don't expect him. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, maybe it does imply, Fourth Dauntless, that uh, Strider shows up at unexpected times and trouble always seems to be going on. Maybe, uh, maybe it is something like, as Wheelrider suggests, that uh, something like Gandalf Stormcrow, right? Um, Possibly, possibly. Um, but uh, but it's interesting that that's what he sort of associates him with. And I would want to respond also to oh, who was who was talking? But yeah, Croker was saying that uh, he doesn't seem fearful of Strider, right? That is, he doesn't respond in terror. Um, you, you're always popping up. What do you want now? That's not the. That doesn't sound like the words of somebody who is in genuine fear that Strider is going to pull out a knife and stab him, right? Um, so if he thinks ill of Strider, he doesn't seem to think as ill of him as all that, right? Um, he doesn't like his sort, right? He doesn't approve of him. He thinks he's up to no good, but he's not scared for his skin right now, right? Um. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he does sound more like annoyance, O'Malley. And in part, I wonder if it's because he recognizes that Strider is making fun of him, uh, right, with, again, his third-person address here. Um, and yeah, uh, uh, Ambrosius Aurelianus, I agree. Uh, his lack of fear for Strider does suggest that that public persona that Strider is, has cultivated in Bree might be disreputable, but it's clearly not violent or threatening. Um, th- there does not seem to be reason to fear that he's just gonna—he's just gonna kill you. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, let's keep going. He's here with my leave, said Frodo. He came to offer me his help. Well, you know your business, maybe, said Mr. Butterbur, looking suspiciously at Strider. But if I was in your plight, I wouldn't take up with a ranger. Then who would you take up with, asked Strider. A fat innkeeper who only remembers his own name because people shouted at him all day? They cannot stay in the pony forever, and they cannot go home. They have a long road before them. Will you go with them and keep the black men off? Me? Leave Bree? I wouldn't do that for any money, said Mr. Butterbur, looking really scared. But why can't you stay here quiet for a bit, Mr. Underhill? What are all these queer goings on? What are these black men after? And where do they come from, I'd like to know. Okay. Um, interesting. Ethelot says, does this show that there aren't many rangers in Bree? Um, it does imply that they're not a lot of them right there, right? Uh, I think perhaps. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. 
First of all, Frodo's move here. So we've he's witnessing the confrontation between Strider and Butterbur. And the first thing he does is be open and trusting with Butterbur again, right? He came to offer me his help. Implicitly, I think, I mean, the way that I read that, Frodo's asking his advice, right? Um, here's, Frodo was in the midst of making this decision, right? He had to choose whether or not to trust Strider. Remember, that's where Butterbur interrupted him, right? Sam had said, you know, no, I think we shouldn't trust him. Um, I think we should be careful and not go off with him, right, to a dark place far from help. Uh, and Frodo had just said, no, I, I don't think he's a servant of the enemy, right? And we talked about that kind of connection that Frodo seems to be sensing, that, that non-logical reason for trusting Aragorn that he seems to have, right? But all of a sudden now he has an opportunity, an opportunity to... Uh, remember, Butterbur has just said that Gandalf is close to him, right? He's a friend of Gandalf. Uh, he sta- will stand up for Gandalf. Gandalf seems to trust him. Uh, so he and he's he obviously is a is an important local figure and very well respected by the people of Bree, right? Who are all referring him to Barlaman uh, for information for his book, right? So the first thing he does is appeal to Butterbur. He came to offer me his help. Doesn't ask him his advice explicitly, but that seems to be why else mention it, right? He seems to be inviting Butterbur uh, to to comment on it, right? Um, he came to offer me his help. Well, you know your own business, maybe, said Mr. Butterbur, looking suspiciously at Strider. But if I was in your plight, I wouldn't take up with a ranger. His advice is unequivocal, right? No way, man. Like, are you kidding? Do you know who this guy is? Do you know what kind of a character? This guy is not like an upstanding member of our community, right? This guy is a dodgy vagabond who just randomly pops up at random times. uh, And, you know, we have no idea where he is or where he goes or what he does when he's not here. And every reason to think dark thoughts about him, right? So I'm going to look suspicious at him. I'm going to say, no, no way you should trust that guy, right? But notice it's not personal, right? Strider? No, he's totally untrustworthy. No, he's a ranger and rangers are untrustworthy, right? He doesn't, uh, he is in a category of undesirables to Butterbur, right? Um, He says nothing personally, about Aragorn here. In fact, if you remember, there are very few things that he does say about Aragorn. Uh, if we go back to the conversation that Butterbur had with Frodo briefly uh, in the common room, right? Um, he said that he's one of them rangers, right? So again, he identified what class he belongs to, what category he belongs to. Um, but when he says anything about Aragorn personally, it's not negative, right? Goes about at a great rate on those long shanks of his, right? Walks fast, right? Is very tall and uh, moves around fast. Is that good or is it bad? Well, it's not necessarily a, um, it's not necessarily a, 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 a commendation one way or the other, but it's not, it's not an insult exactly, right? And he does acknowledge that he can tell a rare tale, right? When he has a mind to. 
Um, he does know some pretty cool stories. Which is decent of Butterbur to say. He doesn't have to say that, right? He could just be like, he's a ranger, he's shady, I don't know much about him, and I don't trust him. Right? He could have just left it at that. But it's like, out of um, fairness, right? He's gonna, he's gonna admit there's some upside right, to Strider. Um, so the only personal things he said have been kind of good. Um, his the negative thing is about his category, as they say, right? The fact that he's a ranger. Um, and I agree with you guys who are really enjoying his um, uh, re- really enjoying his statement. You know your own business, maybe, right? <laughs> I, I love. Butterbur has every reason to doubt Frodo's competence, right? Um, the mere fact that Frodo is obviously entertaining the idea um, of going along with Strider, right? Uh, that, uh, uh, I mean, because that, that's implicit, right? In Frodo's statement, he came to offer me his help. Um, he didn't say, I've obviously rejected it out of hand, right? And the fact that he seems to be asking for advice on this suggests he's entertaining the possibility. So, Butterbur, who already has reason, right, to question Frodo's competence, given his performance in the common room, literally, right? Uh, Now, oh man, like, this guy. Gandalf said he would need help, but I had no idea he would need this much help. (laughs) I mean, holy cow. Um, you can't tell this guy anything. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, um, uh, yeah, that's really interesting, Ethelwald. Ethelwald says, uh, Butterbur still has the letter. Maybe he doubts that Frodo really doesn't know his business, right? Maybe he's actually reluctant to give him the letter. Uh, maybe, maybe. Um, yeah, yeah, um. Oh, that's a really interesting question, Tension. How often does the Lord of the Rings narrator maintain an honorific title like Mr. for a character? Yeah, Mr. Butterbur in the conversational tag here. I don't know. It's an interesting question. I don't think he uses it often. No, he's using it again right down here, said Mr. Butterbur. Hmm. Interesting. That would be interesting to see. I'd be interested to see the trend. Okay. See if anybody can find this. The use of honorifics like that, like Mr. Um, in conversation tags by the narrator. Is there any... Are there some characters who tend to get them and keep them, like Mr. Butterbur here? Or... Well, no, the alternative, Corey, would be to call him... Butterbur, just call him Butterbur, right? Um, which would be normal, really. Um, yeah. It's interesting. Who gets that and who doesn't get that, and how consistent is it? I'd be interested to see that. Anyway. Somebody study that and get back to us. We'll, we'll look at it. Um... Okay, so 
Strider's burn, right? Then who would you take up with? A fat innkeeper who only remembers his own name because people shouted at him all day? Now, question. How harsh is that? <laughs> and I mean that as a question, right? Um, some were, I think, I forget who it was. Someone on the discussion board was suggesting that this was a, this is a, this is a rather unkingly speech for Aragorn to make, right? Um, uh, unbecoming to his dignity uh, to insult Butterbur in this way. Um, how, how offensive is this statement? How insulting is this statement? Is how angry is this sentence? Right? How are we supposed to be to be reading that? Um, one thing that I feel compelled to say. Remember. Uh, and people have observed this lots of times. Um, yes, JJ, that's exactly what I was about to say. JJ said that fat as an insult doesn't really carry the body shaming context that it has nowadays. That's exactly JJ what I was about to say. Remember the number of fat jokes that are made throughout the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, right? Um, Bumber was now so fat that uh, fat is funny. Right? Fat is funny. Almost always fat is funny. There are some times when fat is not funny. But fat is usually funny. Um, um, and what's more, in a slightly different circumstance, um, in a slightly different circumstance, that line could be said from one friend to another. Right? Um, I mean, if, if, you know, Mary said something like this to Pippin, like something in this same kind of tone, it wouldn't sound totally out of keeping with some of the ways that they talk to each other. Remember, like, if you insult, uh, somebody, it's a sign of affection, right? That's something that we see pretty, pretty frequently, right? Um... And, uh, and I agree, several of you are pointing out the fact that he's a fat innkeeper, right, in, in particular makes it not really sting, right? Um, uh, saying a fat innkeeper, I don't, I, I, don't, I don't hear insult exactly at all there. Um, like, this is not Strider saying, you know, like, you're fat and your mom addresses you funny, right? That's not, that's not the way that this works here by saying a fat innkeeper. Um, why does he call him a fat innkeeper? He calls him a fat innkeeper in order to emphasize the situation, right? Remember what he's just, so, so here's Butterbur being asked his advice by Frodo. What do you think we should, the black riders are pursuing us. What do you think we should do? And Butterbur has just said, I wouldn't take up with a ranger, right? And so, Strider is saying, and so what's the alternative? A fat innkeeper? 
right? Um, you would take up with a fat innkeeper instead. Are you setting yourself up? So I've come here and offered to help him. Are you offering to help them, Butterbur? Right? Are you suggesting they should take up with you? Are you going to be better off guiding them through the wild and defending? No, you're a fat innkeeper, right? Fat innkeepers don't go off on adventures. They're certainly less uh, capable of providing the kind of help that these hobbits need, right? Than uh, than a ranger, right? What do you need is like, oh, maybe somebody who knows the land and wanders around and goes about at a great rate, right? Maybe going about at a great rate is exactly what's indicated here. Perhaps uh, a little going around at a great rate might actually be just the thing. But Butterbur can't possibly do that. Exactly. Um, Real to us, he's, he's, he's fat as in unfit, right? Unfit for this job. He's perfectly fit to be an innkeeper, right? Being a fat innkeeper is a fat innkeeper is a successful and happy innkeeper, right? It means he's successful enough to be able to feed himself well. Um, and there's something just kind of trustworthy about, about, uh, uh, about a, a fat innkeeper, right? As I, somebody, Katriana maybe was suggesting that like, maybe you, you don't want to try. Do you really want to eat what comes out of the kitchen of a skinny innkeeper? Like you got to wonder, right? So yeah, uh, I, I don't, so I, I don't actually see fat as an as an insult at all, um, but it but it is funny, right? Fat is funny. Uh, it's a it's a constant source of of humor and jokes in Tolkien, and I think that the funny here, like it's the the emphasis he's making a joke of it, right? Because it is a joke to imagine Butterbur in his place. Okay, oh, so they shouldn't go off with me, right? Oh, what, so they should go off with you instead? And so he conjures this mental image, right, of fat, jolly Butterbur puffing along through the Midgewater marshes in front of them, right? And that's funny, right? That's absurd. That's ridiculous. And that's, of course, Strider's point, right? Um, You are totally not capable of doing what needs to be done here. Um uh, yeah, good. Tilly and I agree. Butterbur even mentions never getting any thinner when he's first attending to the hobbits. That is, Butterbur makes a fat joke at his own expense in their first conversation, right? I'm run off my legs, but I don't get in, but I don't get thinner, right? Um, exactly, exactly. Um, so, uh, <laughs> good. <laughs> the, Thanks for the reminder, folks. Okay, uh, so right, um, yeah. So, so I don't think that that's harsh. I think it's funny. I mean, I think he's he's re- he's calling him out, right? Um, there's a serious side to it, but the serious side is not like it's not about obesity, right? Um, the serious side is uh, um, is, uh, and I agree with you know people who are talking about fat being actually a, a, a positive status symbol in pre modern days. Yes, exactly. That's, uh, um, uh, yeah, yeah. It is a sign of prosperity generally. So, um, anyway, yeah. So, okay. So, um, agreed. Fat, if anything, fat innkeeper is kind of a compliment or at least sort of a, a piece of jollity, right? Um, it doesn't necessarily, it's not necessary. Again, it's not just like a, a playground insult uh, by Strider here. Um, but what it is doing is it's drawing this uh, contrast. And by the way, don't forget, who's the target here, right? That is, who is the target audience of Strider's speech? I don't think it's primarily Butterbur, it's Frodo, Right, Frodo has just asked, has just appealed to Butterbur to help him decide about whether or not he should trust Strider, 
So what is Strider doing? Let us just juxtapose these two authority figures, right? Or potential authority figures anyway, right? Um, what do you think makes more sense, Frodo? Right. What's the smart move here uh, to go with me, the admittedly kind of shady looking ranger or uh, or to put your hands in the uh, to put yourself in the hands of the fat innkeeper? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, a fat innkeeper who only remembers his own name because people shouted at him all day. Right. <laughs> that's that's kind of funny. Right. I mean, that is that is that is kind of funny. Um, uh, Strider is obviously annoyed, right? Annoyed. And he has every reason to be annoyed um, because um, it's clear Gandalf left instructions that he was to help for and he's not helped. Right. Even the fact that he let him into the common room. Remember, they were just talking about that before Butterbur came in. Like, was that a sketchy thing to do? Does that suggest that Butterbur's uh, fat face harbors dark designs? Right. Um, you know, it's. Uh, um, it's questionable if he is a friend of Gandalf and Gandalf told him to watch out for these hobbits and to not ask any questions and to help them all that he can. His telling them to come into the common room, he bears a certain degree of responsibility for the disaster that happened there. It's not totally his fault, right? He didn't tell Frodo to get up on the table and then put the ring on in front of everybody. But, uh, but still like they wouldn't have been in that situation. He did by inviting them into the common room and, and, you know, sort of pushing them to come in. Um, no, he was not maneuvering them into a position where they would be exposed, but um, but he wasn't helping, right? That was not help, um, and uh, and he should, and I, I, Aragorn can clearly read that, right? No matter what else is the case, uh, Butterbur has not done a great job of sort of following through on his pledge to uh, um, to to Gandalf. Um, yeah, so. Um, Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, let's see. Notice where he pushes Barlaman right away, right? They cannot stay in the pony forever, and they cannot go home. They have a long road before them. Will you go with them and keep the black men off, right? Yes, they're in trouble. Yes, those uncanny black riders are after them, right? Um, by the way, you notice that he does. Uh, Butterbur doesn't call them black riders, right? For very good reason that they don't seem to have been on horseback when he saw them. Um, they were black walkers when Butterbur saw them. That's why he just calls them these black men, right? Um, anyway, so. Uh, Right, so he's uh, he he lays things out for Butterbur quickly, right? Um, he contrasts uh, himself with Butterbur. Now, by the way, some of you are saying that you know, it still sounds a little bit more. And I'm not arguing that I think that Aragorn's totally joking. I don't think he's joking. I think he's annoyed. I think he's annoyed at Butterbur. Um, I think he's 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 
he's annoyed at Butterbird being an obstructionist and being to. He's frustrated with like that, that Butterbird was dumb, right? I mean, like if he was supposed to help Frodo, what he did was the opposite of help, right? And now he's trying to tell him not to. He's like trying to make his own personal job, which he was already finding challenging enough, right? How to convince Frodo to trust him and and to go along with him when, you know, he's got very little to do to prove uh, uh, that he's trustworthy. Um, And now Butterbur's not making that easier. I do think, I I, I think that that's, I don't think that he is merely teasing, merely joking in that. I I think it's still a kind of a lighter tone. Again, this is not a playground insult. This is not him just hurling venom at Butterbur or anything. Um, It's playfully worded. Um, but it's kind of serious, right? He's not, I think, best pleased um, with uh, with Butterbur. Okay. Yes. Yes, Dorward. I'm I'm going to finish up after this slide here. I'm almost done. Almost done. Uh, one more paragraph. Um, so he lays it out and asks Butterbur to choose. What would you do? They need help. You said you would help them. Okay, Butterbur. I'm listening. What What are you going to do? Right, um, they've got to go. They can't go home. They can't stay here. Um, Butterbur is not convinced. Right? Um, why can't you stay here quiet for a bit, Mister Underhill? Right? He doesn't believe Strider that that's not an option. Surely, come on. I mean, what's going to happen? Right? Um, you know, stuff like evil people coming in and murdering guests in their beds. That's not going to happen at the Pony. Come on now. Right? Let's be serious. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Fourth Dauntless, uh, talking about the black men description. Uh, wouldn't black men usually refer to black haired men? Often, y- yes, it wouldn't by, uh, nobody reading that would assume, um, that they were talking about their skin color or anything. And of course, in this case, he's talking about neither. What does he have to say about them, right? Um, he calls them black men because they can't see the, uh, the only thing they can see of them are their black robes. Right. Um, so these are like, there seem to be men in the sense that they're the height of men. Um, they're not hobbits, obviously, um, or dwarves. So they seem to be men. Um, and they're entirely dressed in black, and that's all they know or, or see about them. Right. So calling them black men, uh, uh, makes sense. Again, he, he, they, can see neither skin nor hair of uh, of the Nazgul, in fact. Uh, so, obviously, he's not going on anything like that. Um, but, uh, anyway. Um, and Emma Thorne, I agree. He would, be, he would more likely, if he were referring to the hair color, he would use, probably use the adjective dark rather than black. That I, I agree with that. That makes sense. Um, anyway, okay. Um, Butterbur is shocked, right, at the idea of uh, of uh, leaving Bree, right? That's not even. I mean, come on now. That is not even on uh, on the table. He was not suggesting anything of the kind. And when he said to Gandalf that he would render any assistance that he could, obviously he didn't mean like leaving Bree with them and guiding them through the wilderness, right? That is not that is not something that is on offer from Butterbur here, um, and. Uh, um, so yeah, that's, that's, um, uh, he's scared at the idea. If that's what they really need is that, and, and I think the reason why he's scared 
I think that he can. Um, uh, I think that he can. He can see that he's in an awkward position. He promised Gandalf that he'd help them. He'd do whatever he can for them, right? He wants to say, this isn't something I can do, right? I can't do that. Um, and yet, I think he's scared because he acknowledges some, like, they need help. Obviously, they need help, right? Maybe they know their own business, but probably not, right? These people need help. The black men are after them. Um Strider has succeeded in one paragraph, it seems, um, in sort of convincing, but showing Butterbur what they need is a guide in the wilderness. So maybe you should rethink that whole, if I was in your plight, I wouldn't take up with a ranger. Um, Another way of characterizing that whole paragraph from Strider is him responding to that statement by saying, Butterbur, do you even know what their plight is? You said, if I was in your plight, what is their plight? You know what their plight is? Like, they've been hunted away from their home. They're on the run from these terrible, uncanny creatures who are way worse even than you think they are. And uh, and they so th- and they can't stay here because they're not safe here. They're not safe on the road. They can't go home. That's their plight. So, in that plight, Butterbur, what would you do? Exactly. Right? Who would you take up with? Um. Yeah. Yeah. Um, why can't you stay here quiet for a bit? Again, he doesn't believe... Surely, surely you'd be safe here. There seems to be just like a little bit of a denial there, denial of, of acknowledging. And he's probing for more information, right? What are all these queer goings-on? This is not what he signed up for, right? When Gandalf said, my friend's going to be coming through and you give him all the help that you can, Butterbur, th- that probably sounded to Butterbur like it was right in his wheelhouse, Right? Hobbits coming through from the Shire, right? Travelers who need a place to stay. I can give them a place to stay, right? I can shelter them for a while. They can hold, they can, uh, they can, they can stay at the pony for as long as they like, right? And they'll be perfectly safe while they're here and I'll help them have everything they need. And, you know, if they need help, like supplies or whatever, like I can help with that to help them along their journey. Like, don't worry, Gandalf, I'm your guy. I've got this taken care of, right? That's got to be what was in Butterbur's mind, right? But now he finds himself in the middle of this entirely different, strange story, right? Is it possible that they are not safe at the pony? There are these uncanny whatever they were, right? These black men whose I'm just calling them black men because I couldn't even see their faces, right? But they just, you know, made Nob's hair stand straight up on end and, and you know, like, man, this is, um, uh, this is not what he signed up for, right? Um, he finds himself in the midst of queer goings-on, right? What are these black men after, and where do they come from? I'd like to know, right? What are they? Why should we be so afraid to think that guests aren't even safe in the pony, right? And what are they after? Why are they hunting you? That's just weird, right? These strange strangers coming from outside, that's weird, but then they're like them hunting you? I, I mean, come on now. What on earth is going on? Um, so, yeah, I do think, Cookie Mama, uh, that he could be a little worried because he can't fulfill the obligation of care and protection. That, like, and, and, and I got to think, he must have been super confident when assuring Gandalf that he had it taken care of, right? Don't worry. I'll be able... 
because he had this idea of the kind of help that they would need, right? Now that his whole, in one paragraph, Strider has managed to shake his entire conviction, which, remember, is built on denial a little bit anyway. He's already said how uncanny the Black Riders were, right? Um, He knows that there is something outside the usual that is up here, right? Um, He kind of doesn't want to think about it. Right, he kind of wants to convince himself that everything's going to be fine and they can just stay quiet at the pony for a bit, right? Um, but he's already primed. He already knows that's not really what it's like. That's not really how it's going to be able to go down. Um, and so he's asking, "What is going on? And where are they from? And why are they hunting after them?" Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, poor Butterbur finds himself on unexpectedly shaky ground. Um, all right. Well, we're going to pause there. We'll get the revelation of where the Black Riders were from. We're from. Maybe we'll even get as far as Gandalf's letter next week. Um, we'll see. So next week is, yes, I will be here next week uh, to uh, uh, have class as usual, I hope. Um, uh, we're starting, I'm not sure, last week of April. I'm still not sure exactly Um I haven't firmed up completely my travel plans for London yet, so I, I, I really totally need to do that. Um, so I'm not sure if I'm going to be here Tuesday night or not on that week, but I'll definitely be here for the next week, so we'll be good. And yes, Bricktails, there's a poem coming up in the letter too, right? So all kinds of things to talk about. All right. Um, so thanks, everybody, for uh, for joining me for our, our class. We're going to have our field trip now, uh, so those of you who are on Twitch here can stay with us. I'm going to say goodbye to our Twitter folks. Thanks. You guys have been really active tonight. Uh, thanks for joining me, and uh, I will... Um, um, so, again, feel free to come join us on uh, on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash signumu. Thanks. Bye, everybody. Well, not everybody. Bye to you guys. All right. And Godspeed. And Godspeed. There we go. <laughs> Couldn't hit the X on my Twitter. I'm like poking it, poking it. Okay. There we go. Um, all right. Very good. So it is field trip time. And as you guys remember, we've been exploring the southern outskirts of Angmar for the last few weeks, which we're going to carry on doing. Um, so, uh, Maven and Valori, what do you guys think? Should we, should we, should we try to do hunter travel or should we take slow horses up? Just, just a second. I think if we have any hunters here, D-May's back there, I see. Anybody up here? Um, I think that would, anybody that can get us to Alkire, because that's the only way, hunters are the only way we can get there other than slow travel. I would say if you can get uh, Corey there as a priority and anybody else that can come along, otherwise the rest of us are going to have to just ride from Esteldine. Right. Yeah. Um, if we ride from Esteldine, does it take us up through the Drakes? Uh, well, it does take us that road, but I've ridden that road before and not had anything, you know, I mean, even on level and not had anything bug me. What I'm wondering is if, like, for the first time we do it, if we should just take the slow horses and then we can look around us as we ride. Uh, oh, you mean take our own horses as opposed to no, taking just, a slow horse? Well, either way. Oh. I was thinking about taking the slow horses, then I cannot pay attention to where I'm going. Uh, and, exactly. And if we take the slow horse, then we don't have to worry about being angry. I always miss the turn. So. 
too, so that would help. <laughs> right, <laughs> Maybe exactly. we should do that just as a group. We just go. To yeah, so we'll do because because you know we said there were the two ways up, and we we went the one way twice. Right. Um, right. This will this will might be an easy way for us to uh, uh, to travel up through the drakes without See worrying about getting lost. And yeah. without having to worry. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All oh, right. Wait, let's do it. Wait. Tillian Western says, stable master, everybody. Okay. Oh, stable master. Yeah. There's so, a captain around here. That's me. Neil. <laughs> <laughs> so does it, does anybody know, is it going to take us through the drakes or is it going to take us the way that we've been I going? I don't think it does. I think it, takes, no, it doesn't well, take it, us through the main gates. I know that because I didn't know that entrance was there until later. No, but it takes, no. it takes us another road that, um, but it doesn't, I don't remember going. It's to next the to the drakes. Right, yeah. I don't Cause there are three passes the up. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Oh, that's true. So yeah. it takes us neither the way that is totally infested Drakey, with not drakes. Drakey, nor Hillmany. Right. Neither Drakey mm-hmm. nor, nor through the gate. Yeah. Okay. That is correct. Okay. Which is not to be so confused I with Hogmany. Right. <laughs> uh, I, I love the discussion we had about Strider's comment. I mean, that is one of my favorite lines. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. About Absolutely. the fat innkeeper. The fat and innkeeper, yeah, yeah, I. D- I I, I think it's more salty than it is like vicious or something like yes. that. He's just it's it's he's being sassy, but you you, you got to wonder how many times he's had to overhear Barlam and talk about how awful he is. That's got to that's got to rub you raw after a while. Right, right. It's a good thing he was raised by elves. <laughs> yeah, you wonder where he got the sass from. Is that from hanging out with the Brelenders, or did was there an elf or something from Arwen? <laughs> Definitely. That's right. She had some pretty good comebacks, didn't she? <laughs> well, I mean, she's not my favorite character. She's that medieval lady that sits home and sews tapestries. But the Lady of Shalot. Yeah, you know, yeah. What are you gonna do, right? Yeah, that's that's the one thing I'm hoping the Amazon miniseries does. I hope we get some kick-ass girls in there. <laughs> well, I mean, they definitely buffed her out for the movie. Right. Yeah, There's some opportunities. They made her into Glorfindel. Well, I was going to yeah. say, right, I was going to say, I know, you know, Trish, you can't approve of that, right? With no, the, I don't approve of that. <laughs> giving away Glorfindel's role. We have a postcard. We have a postcard of uh, Glorfindel looking at a dusty telephone waiting for the movie executives to call him for this next <laughs> one. <laughs> and it never happens. Oh, poor guy. Hey, no reason to cut Glorfindel out. Again, this is the thing that I love about the whole long running uh-huh. series thing is the ability to not have to make decisions like that, uh, oh, to be yeah. able to invest in Arwen's character without having to, you know, eviscerate uh-huh. Glorfindel's character. That's right. Um, I hope, uh, I hope we see Glorfindel in the Amazon series. That would be pretty cool. I, that would be fun. I certainly hope that we do. Um, yeah, but, uh, cool. All right. So we're going to do the slow travel. Uh, yes, yeah. I think that's, there is okay. no swift travel. There's only slow travel. Uh, there's only slow travel. All right. Just so, say the, say the word so we're all looking I'm at going. kind of the same Off thing. we go. There we go. All right, so I'm going to. I pulled the trigger too soon, so I'm already going across the downs here. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> Sorry about that. So this way I can, I can pan my camera around and not have to worry about running into things. It's mm-hmm. kind of nice. But anyway, so we're starting off, of course, going the way that we've been going. Yeah. Um, but, um. Yeah. So no, I I, I think that uh, you know we'll see, we'll see how ex- my my real question about the Amazon series is how in depth they're going to start. You know, 
Um, yeah. It really depends. I mean, so on the one hand, I, you know, I want to say, well, it all depends on how confident they are that they're going to uh-huh. get a lot of series. I mean, if they go really slowly, such that, for instance, you know, uh, season one really just covers, you know, like Eric- Isildur. <laughs> well, right. No, I mean, they could, right? But e- even if they jump forward, so, you know, like my, my vote, if I were advising them, which I'm not yet, come on now, folks. But anyway, um, if I were advising them, I would say episode one, season one, should be the day that Aragorn learns who he is and meets Arwen, right? That should be episode one. Um, and then season one can easily be like the adventures of young Aragorn and we're getting the, you know, we're getting the sort of the scene set. We can get some, er- some Elrond and Gandalf conversations about, you know, the rise of the shadow and their concerns and the things that they're worried about. And, uh, and uh, the horse lords in their glory in that one. Yeah. There could be all kinds of things. Right. But then we get, we'd get Aragorn on his travels, right. We would see the, um, uh, we say, okay, so here we are heading towards one of the passes. We go through the village, been, yeah. the Earthkin village, by the way. We go That's through right. a gorge and yeah. yep. the Earthkin village. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, so great. So we're, um, so, so, you know, and basically I would say that the, 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 it could then end, right? The first, se- I, I would want to end the first season at the battle uh, in uh, Pilar Gear, right? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, with so he's the, Thorong, he's still Thorongil when, when we end, or is that? Yeah, like I would, I would end like with the departure of Thorongil at the end of season yeah, yeah, one. Yeah. Like that would be my, that would be my sort of vote. But see, if you do that, if you commit an entire season of the show to young Aragorn, <laughs> you're being fairly confident that you're going to do a bunch of seasons, <laughs> right? Well, they already have they have five greenlit, so right. They have five greenlit. They have five greenlit. Yeah, they have five yeah. seasons. But see, the thing is, they're already talking about they spent half a billion dollars on the rights alone, and now they're talking about committing a billion dollars to the production of the show. And can I also emphasize what a very small percentage of that billion dollars would be required to secure my services? Just saying... Pick Just up the saying, phone. It would and be, you have experience. You've been producing, what are we, you know, at the end of season three? Of exactly. It would be practically unnoticeable uh in that yeah. pot of money but anyway um so the but but uh, but i mean okay so we're talking a million and a half dollars they've already committed to this that's a fair bit of confidence right that it's gonna yes. that it's gonna go well so they don't seem to be lacking confidence in the show so oh the um, merchandising alone is gonna make them back <laughs> well one would hope right if they do it properly yeah okay yeah. Okay. So that was like the boringest route into uh, into that Alabama, is the boringest wasn't it? Route. Yeah. That's the one I've always taken, and I've never had yeah. breaks, and I never. I had didn't know there were any others for a while. Yeah. Me. Me too. Whereas I, by contrast, didn't find that one forever. I was like, yeah. I, I found the Drake path first, and I thought that was like the way. Um, I think it was in the North Downs that you asked me to come help you finish up one of your deeds, which was the worms and stuff. And I was oh, like, where are yes, you going? I have no idea. Where no, yes, that's, that's right. right. I had no idea that existed. Until yes, you, you did help me with my worm I thought worm the deed. worms were on a loop. I didn't know you could actually get to you know, look through the worms. I thought that was mostly just uh, just yeah. in a big circle. <laughs> yeah. Shows yeah. you how many times I died in there. Right, right. Okay, well, so this is where we ended last time. We we got down here to the stable master. 
Uh, we were looking at their banners up there. We're looking at this big, huge wall. Oh, I see. Interestingly, the skies have cleared. It was really cloudy in Esteldine, but it's clearer here except for the crazy... Green discharge. Yes. Did you Green guys talk about discharge. this wall last time? I've never been able to figure it out. We did, but yeah. Was- Our conclusion was that it seems to have been a defense... Um, like walling this place off so that because this was obviously a pass right the the pass up Uh here is seems to be of long standing through that canyon and everything um now you could one could say that they could be possibly a little bit more efficient and just build a wall like right there up in the pass behind where we just came from (laughs) but anyway you know having this having this wall here um it's almost like they're living in the moat of the, of the <laughs> right. but this is this is actually defending from the direction of Carndoom, isn't it? This wall. Um. Oh no, no, Carndoom's quite far away, though, isn't it? Yeah. No, but I mean that's the direction it's in, isn't it? Oh yeah. In a roundabout so, way. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's interesting because the it's actually on the map. I was just looking at the Angmar map. Um, uh-huh. And the wall's actually on the map. Oh, oh yeah. yeah! Look at that. That's what I assume that is, right there. Yeah, yeah, sure looks like it. But the little stippling there that's different from mountain. Yeah, it looks and like it, yeah. like a row of houses. It's well, like when they got a Fasbel road. Yeah, it would have it would have been um but depending smaller. on Fasak Laran and Fasak Falroid, I guess. Yes. Those yeah. Angmar and Exactly. Just a sec, hang on, I got baby stuff over. <laughs> yeah, your uh your your little one is uh on the other hand, my bird up and at him tonight. And Buddha's asleep, look at that. Asleep, L- yeah. Listen to the quiet tranquility in the Maven household there. Ross Goble <laughs> is is at rest here this He's evening. At rest, indeed. Yeah. Yes. All right. Although I have two dogs outside looking at their watches and tapping their feet. <laughs> right. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. So I want you to notice Ponton's title. That's a title that you get. Turn around the other way. The other way. He's over by me. Right oh, he's over by you? On the, right here. Dances Through Dances Dale? Dances Through Dale. Oh. That's a title you get when you complete, I think it's the Dale rep, I believe. Wow. Dances yeah. Through Dale. Dances Through Dale. Is there much dancing involved in the acquisition of that deed? I think they just went for the alliteration. Okay. Is it figurative? You dance with the elves. In you actually, way? in fact, I discovered today that if you go dance with, with uh, Thranduil, he goes, have you been drinking my wine? <laughs> <laughs> no, if you had, you'd be asleep. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's funny. Hey, guys, I'm going to have to log out. Sorry, oh, we got yeah. a sick baby oh, and my husband no has worries. to work tomorrow. No okay. problem. Bye, no guys. Problem. Bye. Bye. All right. Okay. Um, so let's look about us here. Um, the village itself is all tents. Do we have one single non-tent building? I don't think we do. I don't do. think we do. do. Yeah. I mean, most... So tents. here in the middle, these are... This Does is that a, imply nomadic? Does that imply they'd be nomadic? Well, it does kind of. Um, you know, if they're not even building structures at all. Now, I say no, they're not building structures. Um, this has a very heavy yeah. wooden frame. It's not like this thing yeah. is portable. 
It could just be, you know, like they're not dwarves, so they don't have the stone masonry right. skills or something. Right. Um, I mean, it's uh, it's uh, not totally unlike the Forakal, like the people up in Forakal, mm-hmm. right? The mm-hmm. the there we saw lots of, you know, um, not only like igloos, but um, all of their homes were made of mm-hmm. you know wood and skins. Um, I do wonder if they're kind of related because you know you have to go through the same sort of prove yourself thing here as you did mm-hmm. before, Cal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it, it seems sort of similar, though. Again, also it's it's not yeah not nomadic in the sense of like they could they pick up and move, yeah, right? Because right. clearly they can't pick this up and move. This is huge. Um, and nor could the people in Forakal pick up and move, right? Right. Um, I'm looking at their clothing. Almost all leather. Her dress is clearly leather, even. It doesn't look like cloth. Like, the stitching down at the bottom and the front doesn't really look like cloth. The sleeves do. Hide? Is it hide? Yeah, I think her skirt is... is like That seems to be yeah, fur along the bottom. Like, like, not... A row of fur sewn on, but like the native fur of the animal whose skin is the skirt is kind of what it looks like. Um, And then you've got sort of fancier leather work across her bodice there, but that's still clearly leather. And and then I think the sleeves, which are detachable, right? Like they would be, right? Uh, So you've got detachable cloth sleeves um, and some metal decorations there. Uh, but not... And is she tattooed? Does she have tattoos? She does. I don't think so. Is she, does well, she? or or something. If it's not tattoos, maybe it's... Yeah, if you look at her, like her shoulders and her yeah. face. Oh, both yeah, she's right. got face. markings here. Not... I mean, they're not tattoos. Yeah. Well, they're not... They don't look like... I mean, they're not... They're not colored. I mean, they, she's not tattooed in the same way that, like, the Dunlendings are. Right, right. Um, but uh, yeah, did we see markings like that? Were the did we have the same kind of? Uh, you mean in Forakal or? Um, yeah, in Forakal, I'm thinking, thinking about the similarity. They were, they were all covered up in furs. So who could tell? Yeah, I don't remember really seeing. I don't uh, remember that either. Of course, I mean they're all bundled up, as you say. So yeah. you know. We don't. They, I think you're right. Like the done lendings, uh, you, you right, see it, but. right. Yeah, they, they don't go in for the bare shoulders look in Forakel nearly no, so much. In <laughs> yeah. Well, bare shoulder in terms of be- <laughs> right, B E A R. Yes, exactly. <laughs> totally different kind of bear. Uh, yes. Now I'm looking at the decorations on the dude, especially his like little metal abdomen piece. There, or actually, quite large metal abdomen piece. Trying to see what what's on it. Actually, from your Hobbit vantage point, it's right at your eye level. What's in the What's in the middle of his? It's thing? the fl- your flowers are lovely, by the way. It's hard to tell. Yeah. Yeah. It just looks like a big disc. Right. Either that, or it's so worn. You know, it's old, and the design is worn. Right. It looks like a. 
it looks like a big honking necklace, basically. Yeah, and it's it almost looks like suspend. It's like those suspender-like things, right? Are holding that. Yeah, metal the straps. Disc. Yeah, coming down. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, the straps. Oh, that's yeah. true. Cause it's strapped around him too at his waist or torso, isn't it? Yeah, where do the straps come, yeah. out, come around behind? Oh yeah, oh, yeah they're connected to the too. back thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe that's their version of like a bulletproof vest. You know. Well, yeah, it is interesting. I mean, yeah, these big plates. That they do yeah. seem to be functional as much as uh, decorative. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I never get this up close and personal unless I'm with Corey with the NPCs. <laughs> That's right. Sorry, Cameron, if we're in your personal space here, you know. But uh, <laughs> you know, just curious. Um, looking at their footgear, sandals. And look at this guy. Hmm. Which guy? I'm just kidding around. What's Rildalus? Oh, just yes. kidding around. <laughs> <laughs> he was standing so still. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's definitely more metal work. I, I mean, I agree with you. They don't seem to have the same kind of like stone masonry. Uh, or, But their 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 metal work is, is, is pretty intricate here. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, I mean, even like this, those like wheels, right? The spoked wheels that make up the the clasps or whatever here on his little suspender things. Um, but uh, uh, but anyway, yeah. So I mean, they, they they've got the much more metal Declan than over the... here has definitely not gone native. He looks like he just got pulled out of the pony and transported here. He's a he's the you know he's not a he's not a member of the tribe. This oh right, he's kind which of, yeah, just... which guy? Where this is guy he? over here, Declan, he's like directly opposite. So he's, uh, and I can't remember. Oh, oh yeah, this his, guy. Trying to remember his, uh, I think he's looking for his brother. Yeah, he's the bard that sends you on that, like, Mr. really mean spirited yeah. uh, right, uh, right, 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 right. dungeon, right? Yeah, so, um, oh, that's right. The one that you and I so, died in, like, five times? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Because we didn't. Oh, and then uh, Rachel came and saved us. Thank God. Because right. we didn't realize we had to keep killing those. Exactly. Teams. Yeah. N- not. Oh my God. Not having any idea of night. like the mechanism of the. Yeah. Exactly. And of course, being stubborn, we were like, "We're going again. We're going again. <laughs> Die. Yeah. We're going again. Die." <laughs> oh, those were fun early days. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, he's. Yeah, he looks just like he looks like a Brewlander. He looks uh, yeah, he does, doesn't he? Yeah, or like from the Lonelands. Yeah, like from say Lonelands. Hmm. I was gonna say Forsaken Inn, but no. Yeah, well, I was for that. Yeah, kind of thinking of that too, but yeah, no, he he looks like that. That's his right, but we know that he's a he's a wanderer. He's a traveler. Wandering, yeah. Um, wandering minstrel. See, with this woman here, we get, we get the. I don't know if that's tattooing or, or, or is it something like henna, even. Oh, that could be. You know, henna. That makes sense. Um, yeah. So she's got markings they, they in a completely really different this no pattern. shoulder thing. That's yeah. Really no, with comment. the detachable sleeves. The detachable yeah. sleeves, which are which are now, of course, the detachable sleeves were along. You know, were long-standing thing um right but these seem to be merely attached by these rings to these uh metal shoulder mm-hmm. pieces here and cords cords right they're like leather 
Yeah. With the rings. Yeah. But her skirt seems to be weather too, this green dyed yeah. leather. Again, at least so the stitching suggests down Which there. Okay, so leather, of course, we're standing under this enormous leather canopy, so obviously uh, we do lots of leather, but these... Well, you know, we have, our, we have a whole pen of aurochs over here. Right, yeah, exactly. There, there's no, It's not far to search where they get their leather yeah. from. But these banners now, these look woven, don't they? We've got the tassels at the bottom. I think these are meant to be woven tapestries. They, they could also be leather, though, you know? I don't know, but... Like... It, it just the irregularities in them, plus the tassels at the bottom. Yeah. I think that's. I think that's. I think that's that's fabric. Um. Okay. Well, I'm not quite sure what to make of these, and the symbols don't mean anything to me. I don't know if they're meant to or if it's just a. A design or something, but Bricktails, I also have always thought that these looked vaguely Native American as well. Yeah, that's true. Um, those those banners. And I think that's another reason why I'm so ready to think of them as like woven rugs, essentially, rather than uh, leather banners. But, okay, so what do we learn from the, from the central thing here, right? Well, um, from looking at the people and their clothing... Um, we can gather some things, right? First of all, we don't see much in the way of gems. Now, these might not be the richest people, but both of the girls are fairly fancy looking, right? Both of the women are, are, are you know, and they've got some decorations. They don't seem to have much in the way of gems, um, but they do have metal. She does have rings, but her rings appear to be metal rings, like silver, Um or maybe even steel. I don't know. They're 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 metal and they have designs, but they don't have gems. So we don't have much in the way of gems. Um, they have they do a lot of metalworking and leatherworking, apparently, right? Um, just the level of like these women are are rather gorgeously appareled with their colored, you know, with the 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 the, the their leathers. Uh, being dyed. I mean, look at the fashion coordination between her shoes and her dress. I mean, that's pretty good, right? Um, plus the markings, the cosmetic markings, whether they be tattooing or henna markings or something like that. Um, you know, there's there's obviously... It suggests a certain amount of leisure, right? Um, you know, this this is not this woman is not the picture of somebody who is like working hard in the fields to make ends meet and provide enough food to put on the table. Right. I mean, it's, um, there's, there's clearly, there's, there seems to be a level of comfort here. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. so, Oh, who's that guy? This guy is interesting. Hang on. Mr. Clan Hunter here. He's got lots of bright colors and bones, Right, the other guy didn't have bones. He's got bones all over the place, and including are those shoulder blades on his butt? Is that are those bones? <laughs> are those scabbards? Are those I'm knives? To see shoulder blades on his butt. Those are. They're he's on both sides. Yeah, they're the same thing as up here. Are those shoulder blades? Are they ribs? What are those? Are those metal plates? No, these are bones around his. 
gun. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then these yeah, are metal yeah. plates up here. Okay. Copper? Bronze? Maybe? Look at his face, though. Are those just wrinkles, or are those Look scars? Look at the way he's got his beard done. I've never really noticed that. And yeah. Are those those are bones. He looks yep. like he looks like one of the Flintstones with bones woven into his beard like that. And his that really does look like scarification on his face. It does. Yeah, that looks like ritual scarring. Absolutely. Yeah. That's interesting. But so brightly colored. This guy's like a like a piñata. <laughs> Check out that bow. Wow. Is bow made of is that wood, wood? or bone or bone? Like, almost yeah. like ivory. Ivory, that's what I was wondering too. If it's like a horn bow of some kind, yeah. maybe. Well, you know, again, let's see. The, well, no, aurochs have horns, but they're not that long. Yeah. Okay, so what's this? Now, we've got the row of bones strapped around his midriff. It's like a girdle, right? He's got a, yeah. a bone girdle. Bone girdle. And then you've got these metal plates. But in the middle, what's the white stuff? Is, it, is those other are those jaw bones? Is this like the flattened out skull of his enemies? What is what is what is that? <laughs> the white bit. You see what I mean? Yeah. On the left there it looks it's, like a jawbone not, with uh, teeth. It, it's not symmetrical. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm wondering. It looks like a jawbone. It does look like a jawbone. Hmm. Huh. Okay. Well that's look really those, interesting. Boy, he's quite color coordinated. Look at those gl- purple gloves with the red trim i mean wow yeah really really matching the background color of his little yeah. vest here yeah with i mean he's quite a combination of colors i mean he's really uh you know he's really well he is the demonstration of what dmason says if you don't look good you don't fight good <laughs> there you go he's taken that to heart at least if you don't he's he's this guy Apparently seems to be saying higher standards he's yeah, I'm going to at least dress loud. Uh, that seems to be his <laughs> philosophy here. Um, but, whoa, they just walked through me oh, there. Okay. Um, okay, I have something over here that was kind of interesting. If we go toward where the chief is sitting. Okay. All right, let's see. Uh, a piece of architecture, ah. which I have not ever noticed before. Let's see, where, where's the, is that it there? Yeah. Look at this. Is it this one? Yeah. So across the way here. Yeah. Oh, shoot. Is it this one? Yeah, over here. This next bridge here. I have never looked at what was hanging on this overpass thingy. It, it, I just now started to look. It's like, what is that? So the stuff on the left, those look like three bells or something. I don't know. And then what is that? Somebody's like laundry hanging over <laughs> yeah. here on yeah. the right? Uh, well, okay. So my theory about that is that so that looks like a banner presumably right 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 um, maybe it's an enemy's banner that's maybe. what i'm thinking i'm thinking this is the banner of their enemies right all right um you know to crush your enemies to see them run before you to hear the lamentation right. of their women and then to you know <laughs> hang their tattered banner up on your uh peculiar doorways as yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) and then to hang your tattered banners up on our decorative trellises (laughs) yeah this just sounds like exactly like something oh there you go but you think not actually that's what bailwina said three three sausages yeah um uh 
Yeah, because you see, now, like, sometimes orcs have banners like that, which seem to be their own banners, and they just don't care, right? But that doesn't seem to be the case here, as once again, we have the decorative wooden trellis flanked by these much neater banners, which seem to have dragons on them. What's this this tribe? Uh, The... Uh, Galorg, what the the yeah, the Trave Galorg, yeah. I don't remember what it means in their tongue. Um, they, he tells us at some point, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, this looks like a dragon. There, the yeah, picture. It does, yeah, it, like a Chinese dragon. Yeah, like a Chinese dragon, exactly. It's a sinuous dragon. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So no, I think that yeah, I think that that's got to be that's got to be the 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 banner of your. Enemies, enemies, right? Just kind of oh, no, tossed over these, it too, right? Actually, and these three thingies are attached by chains. That's a, I wonder if they're they, weapons of some kind. Yeah, you chains know, like are, where you whirl them or something, and then let them go, and they hit your enemy or something. I don't. I don't know. They look like bell pulls, but I doubt they are. At least you wouldn't well, be able to pull them because they're bells, just attached to the thing. But, yeah, but no, right. I don't think they're actually bells. No, um, I don't huh. get them. Hmm. They seem to be decorative. Could they be spoil of some kind placed symmetrically oh, on the other side like from the sensors? banner? Or something? Yeah, were they taken from the camp of their foes? And have some significance to them, but their primary primary significance here is as uh, just as trophies, essentially. I don't know. Um, okay. Here's the other interesting thing about this camp: that very large leather pavilion that we were under there first in the middle. That's sort of. It's not the focal point. The focal point of the camp, of course, is the the throne over here um, with, uh, what's his face? What's the name of it? Cranog. Yeah, Cranog, right. Yeah. And so we'll get to Cranog eventually. But, um, see, he's sort of the focal point with everything kind of, you know, he's the end of the path here coming through the town. Um, but that central pavilion that we were just in is the center of the, you know, so we've got all these wooden bridges, right, leading off to that sort of central thing in the middle, um, which is that big, huge pavilion. And yet what interests me about that is that it has no function, right? That is to say... Yeah, it's like a central, like... Yeah, like a... It's not even, it's not even a marketplace. No, it's like a gathering spot or yeah. like a hangout. Right. I mean, like like that's where you'd have your karaoke parties or something, you know, in right. the middle of the of this thing. And, and it just that, that strikes me as interesting, you know, that that every other area seems to have a function of some kind or other. Right. Yeah. Um, but it um, but it doesn't. It's the, uh, it's the quest giving area. <laughs> right. In other words, the place where people just hang out and talk. And, uh, right. and it's interesting that they have so that they they have like a hall. Right. Here, uh, it's a leather hall, right? It's an open pavilion, but it's um, um. But yeah. By the it, way, the same the Kranich has a decorative uh, trellis behind him, and it's got the same stuff on it. Right, right, yeah. That that suggests to me that it's trophies too. Right. 
Because over here we and got a I couple have a tents. Horrible confession to make. Yeah. I cannot tell you how many times I've been here and how many times I've talked to that chief, and I didn't realize he was missing an eye until just now. <laughs> well, you know. I had other things on my mind. Exactly. You know, go kill things. Go find things. Absolutely. Okay, see, now look at this collection. Okay. Here at this tent, so we're at the big tent on the uh, island halfway over there, right? Um, oh, is he at the opposite tent? Yeah, I'm at the bigger oh, of the no. two there tents. Okay. I'm at the, I'm at the south tent. So we have a big banner on the left of this door here, which is an iron crown banner, tattered, and with holes in it. Right, so it's all raggedy on the bottom. Right, that should be a battle trophy. It certainly looks like it. it. Yes, we've got skulls hanging all over the place on it. Right. Skulls stuck in the spikes of the spears. So like the the it's being held up with spears and they're yeah, uh four skulls impaled on the spears, plus the two that are dangling over here. Right. Um presumably those skulls from heads taken from the battle when this banner was taken. Perhaps this symbol, this uh, half moon symbol with the, I don't even know what it is, sort of sprouty, flowery thing in the middle, right? That half moon symbol. That's everywhere, right? That seems to be a whole bunch of, that that seems to be a, 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 a primary symbol of this tribe. So they seem to have hanged this on. I don't know what these blue and brown things are at the bottom of the rope here. Is, are those gems, you think? Uh, Mungway does look rather like a lemon wedge. You're right. Um, uh, but, yeah, I don't know what those things are. You think they're made of metal, Amethorn? They might be. Hmm. But anyway, that definitely looks like a trophy. Over on the other side, we've got this peculiar geometric banner. And I don't know what's up with that. If the other one is Angmar, is this supposed to be this the banner of one of the Hillman tribes that's allied with Angmar? Then, perhaps. Wait, but hang on a second. No, because this that symbol is the same symbol that's on the tent. Yeah. No, I gotta think that this this one is actually the, one of their symbols. This sort of strange set of geometric symbols, right? The regular square, the wavy square, and then the square, the solid square with the blue circle with the swirly inside it. This actually looks kind of like an SAT question or something. You know, like I'm going to be asked (laughs) to say, like, now which one of these symbols is... I mean... Sorry, maybe that's just me. But, um... This dragon shield. 
Whose shield is that? This worm shield? Yeah, I couldn't figure that out. I, that's around a couple of spots. I mean... Where have we... Uh... It's, it's, to me, it's an odd um, symbol to see here, I think. Yeah. Or maybe not. I don't know. Well, we With saw the, the dragonish, you know, the worm symbol on their yeah. banners there. Mm-hmm. Um, so does anybody... Who carries these things into battle? These shields? I don't really know. I can't remember. Hmm. We'll have to keep our eyes out for that. See if we see anybody carrying that shield around. What I'm wondering here is that, again, are these shields trophies, or is this just a a supply cabinet? You know, are these the shields that they use? Or are they... And I think... I'm going to go with supply cabinet, because we see it inside here, too. Right? These are presumably not trophies. Right? These weapons that this weapon rack in here would seem to be just stock. Right? For their warriors. Though, look! This shield, or this spear, rather, is beautiful. Look at that spear with a really cool divided point and the beautiful carvings all up and down it. And then it gets a string of beads hanging off it. Look at that. I mean, come on, that is the deluxe edition right there. All these spears are pretty cool, actually. And that bow... Yeah, that is a handsome spear. I I like that spear. I'm not such a big fan of this sawtooth one, but ooh, and look at the carving on that spearhead—the like angelic woman with the hair floating up and the wings. Oh man! Wow, this is beautiful work. Yeah, O'Malley is saying we should look at the beautiful, the intricate sword hilts, too. Yes. Oh, man. This one a little plainer, but even it. Yeah, I mean, this is, these are very remarkable. Well, so, again, I'm thinking back to what we were seeing in their clothing and stuff, right? There's some, some real sophistication here. This is not... You know, they they might live in tents, but their stuff is not crude. Neither their clothing, uh, nor their... So, like, that guard had bones strapped to his midriff, right? And we've seen that, but I can only think of one other place where we've seen dudes walking around with bones strapped to their midriff. And that was the Gauradine. Um in even oh, yeah, Dim true. and Forakel, they wear bones all strapped to them like that. Um, but yet, none of the rest of this stuff that we've seen has... And even the rest of his own gear didn't necessarily suggest the kind of crudity that we saw uh, in most of the gear of the of the Garadine. Yeah, no, this stuff is... This stuff is beautiful. And their clothing is beautiful, and those 
uh, henna or tattooing decorations. Very nice. The elegant cloth sleeves with the open shoulders. Trying to figure out this guy, but it's hard to see too much of his clothing from where he's standing on this big, huge bear rug. Yeah. Can't make out too much of it. Um, but, uh... By the way, I, will, I love your flower basket backpack there. Who's got the? Who's Chagres. got that? Chagres, yeah. Chagres, eh? Yeah. That's great. I think, I think was that from this current festival? I can't remember. The spring festival just ended. Had a backpack, I see. I can't cool. Um, anniversary festival next Thursday. Woohoo! Anniversary coming up. Yep. Yep. Yep, it's uh Well I'm gonna need to sign off myself. Yeah, I now. should do. It's getting late. I should let everybody go. We'll come back with more fun exploring Algar. We'll see the more functional portions of uh of Algar. We'll go over to Cranog and we'll look at Cranog and then the rest of the the rest of the encampment and then maybe we'll head off into the wild and uh begin to explore the broader Angmar. Hey, if terrain. we make it to the opposite side of the encampment by next time, I'm gonna be Amazing. Oh, we, I'm sure we'll finish the encampment. <laughs> Not a problem. All right. Very good. Um, so, uh, thanks. And yeah, uh, Fire was just reminding me to mention, um, at uh, last Friday, we, you know, those of you who follow Grifflet and or Silm Film may notice that I wasn't here on Friday. I wasn't here on Friday because I was down in Boston hanging out with, um, uh, with Lotro folks, and that was really fun. And one of the things that I was talking about was possibly doing, uh, I was proposing a special broadcast that I hope we're going to be able to get together. So we'll see that I haven't, that hasn't been confirmed, uh, but uh, I'm hoping to uh, uh, see if we can, uh, see if we can set that up soon and I will keep you guys posted, but, uh, but we'll see. We're, we're, we're trying to, trying to make that happen. So, all right. Uh, so I'll just kind of tease that right now, and we'll see what uh, we'll see what uh, we're able to sort out here over the next uh, over the next couple couple weeks. But all right, thanks everybody for joining me, and I will see you guys next Tuesday or tonight or tomorrow night rather at the uh, the War of the Ring class. So thanks right. everybody. Bye now. Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of The Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org fund.